Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. All right, we got a little bit of snow today, kids. Isn't that fun? Everybody's got to love a snow day. But here we are, live with you on a snowy Friday afternoon as the eve of the New Hampshire primary. And Alec Bowen has new uh, charges. And Sports Illustrated lays off pretty much everybody after putting a dude on the cover. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Busy show for you today. we got some great guests coming up as well. Uh, the New Hampshire primary voters. There's an interesting uh, analysis that I've that I've done here in looking at the numbers, and basically it works out like this. Uh, Nikki Haley has a, a strong second lead in New Hampshire behind Trump, but when you look at who people would vote for in the general election, the Democrats are all saying they would choose Joe Biden over Nikki Haley. But this is what I mean. The same primary voters who are saying that they would vote for, for Haley in the primary would go back to Joe Biden in the general, which just proves to you the fact about New Hampshire being an open primary state and how all these Democrats are, are actually engaged here in trying to pick the Republican primary nominee. That's what's happening. Because even though Trump is crushing her in the latest polls, I mean, he's, he's crushing her, the fact that she's going to come in second... And she's already ruled out being vice president, by the way. She already came out and ruled that out. She said, no way, not interested, not going to happen, no how, not going to do it. So she's not going to run for for anything else, which tells me she's going to stay all the way until the convention, like I've been telling you. But when you look at these numbers and you poll Republican voters and you poll voters in New Hampshire, they basically say that they would vote for Trump over Biden and they would vote for DeSantis over Biden, but they would vote for Biden over Haley. Which is exactly my point. The people that are voting for Haley in New Hampshire are largely Democrats who are coming out to try to do an Operation Chaos on the Republicans. That's what's happening right now. That's what we're watching. But I'll tell you something else, too, as we're watching at New Hampshire. And, I, and I, I really do. I love this story. I love this. It makes me very, very happy. So it turns out that Sports Illustrated has just laid off basically their entire staff. The entire staff. They've been told they're being laid off in an email on Friday. Sports Illustrated, if you remember, decided to put a transgender 
woman on the cover as one of their swimsuit cover models. A uh, transgender woman being a dude, a biological male, in a swimsuit. And, and when that happened at the time, everybody said, why does Sports Illustrated need to do this? There's no point in this. Celebrate women. Celebrate women's beauty. Celebrate women's beauty and just leave it at that. You don't have to have a dude come in and uh, once again push a woman aside. You don't need to do that. All you have to do is just celebrate the beauty of women and be be grateful and be be uh, enthusiastic about the fact that these women look very beautiful in bathing suits. Don't try to turn around and be woke because your audience doesn't want this. The audience of the swimsuit, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition in particular, are straight guys, straight men who want to see beautiful women in swimsuits. It's not that hard. Know your audience. I mean, know your audience. Straight men who, who would want to see the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition don't want to see a biological man in a bathing suit. That's, that's, so know your audience. You know, it's funny. I was watching last night. I guess now they're using um, one of the uh, NFL guys, one of the brothers, one of the Mannings, Peyton Manning, I guess, to do Bud Light. And he's, you know, he's throwing Bud Light around a bar. And every person who's catching a Bud Light is, is a guy. You know, Anheuser-Busch is recognizing now how disastrous the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing is. So now they have to spend a ton more cash to pay Peyton Manning to throw Bud Light cans around in a bar. And to make the point to everybody, like, hey, we are a a pro-men beer. We get it. You're our audience. You're a bunch of white beer-drinking dudes. We get it. And uh, we're, we're here for you. But they have to spend all this money to say that. They have to. They have to spend all this money to 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 say that because they messed up with the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing. So it says Sports Illustrated is planning significant layoffs now after the license to use its branded name was revoked. That's the story that they're going with. And that's the big story of the day today, brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com, V A N A R I A, Dr. Mike Venaria. The publisher of Sports Illustrated has notified employees is planning to lay off a significant portion, possibly all of the outlet staff, after its license to use the iconic brand's name in print and digital was revoked. In an email to employees on Friday morning, the Arena Group, which operates Sports Illustrated and related properties, said that Authentic Brands Group has revoked its marketing license. As a result of this license revocation, we are basically firing all of you. Now, why would this be happening, you think? The Sports Illustrated Employee Union said in a statement that the layoffs would be a significant number and possibly all of the News Guild workers represented. We have fought together as a union to maintain the standard of this storied publication that we love and to make sure our workers are treated fairly for the value they bring to this company. It is a fight we will continue, said Mitch Goldich, NFL editor and unit chair. The Guild statement also called for Authentic Brands Group to ensure the continued publication of Sports Illustrated and allow it to serve our audience in a way that it has done for nearly 70 years, meaning... We're going to start making the swimsuit edition actually have women in swimsuits. I mean, this is this has been, again, another disaster for Sports Illustrated. It's just another example of, of woke corporate America uh, completely messing up and then having to atone for their sins because they just appeal to I don't know what audience. I don't know what audience is out there. Uh, like, who wants to see... I guess the question would be, who's looking to see a transgender woman in a bathing suit and then would also want to see 
women women in a bathing suit like wh- where's your audience for this and i imagine if there's people that that want to see that it's a very small audience you know what i mean it's a small group of people that get off on such a thing it was like oh page five has a transgender woman page six is a woman woman this is my type of publication this is what i want to see so who are you appealing to i mean i can understand a magazine that was all transgender women i'm sure there's a market for that i'm sure there's a market for biological men dressed up as women in bathing suits i'm sure that market exists whether or not it's in print or it's completely on the internet i don't know but because it's not my thing i don't go i don't i don't i don't hunt such a thing down but i do know there's a market for women women biological women in bathing suits obviously because the sports illustrated swimsuit edition has been a staple for a long long time now the iconic sports brand has had a rough six years it was acquired by meredith publishing in 2018 as part of a purchase of time inc which started the magazine in 1954 less than a year later meredith sold the magazine's intellectual property to authentic brands group for 110 million dollars abg owns the intellectual property of many brands and stars including marilyn monroe elvis presley muhammad ali and reebok once a weekly publication, Sports Illustrated was reduced to a bi-weekly publishing in 2018 and became a monthly in 2020. Now, this article, of course, is the Associated Press, so it's going to mention nothing about Sports Illustrated's mistakes. It's not going to mention anything about the latest Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. But you got to wonder, how much money did they lose on that issue? How much money did they lose on that issue is the question. Hmm? Because if you're not making money, if you're not making money on things, well, then guess what? Guess what? You're going to wind up uh, turning around and realizing that this is a this is a loser as a product. And then the people that own the brand are going to say, I want it back because you completely and utterly destroyed this. You completely and utterly destroyed a brand that we absolutely at one point had made into a staple. And not just that, too, but, I mean, Martha Stewart, yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying. The um, 2023 cover models are Martha Stewart, Megan Fox, Kim Petras, and Brooks Nader. This year's issue celebrates 28 incredible women, including some familiar faces. So, um, uh, so who are, who are, these, who are these, these models, these 28 incredible women? And why can't they just all be women? You know what I mean? Why can't they just all be women? That's just the question. I think that's the question that everybody's just wondering. You know, it's not wrong to celebrate women's beauty. In fact, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to celebrate women's beauty and and to say that we believe there's a place for women to be celebrated. Just like women's athletics. We believe there's a place for women to be celebrated. And we believe that women have a chance to compete. And we believe that women should be given that opportunity. And women should be allowed to compete. When German pop star Kim Petras released her first single, I'm going to read this from Sports Illustrated, I Don't Want It All, in 2017, the singer-songwriter had been creating music since she was a teenager. Earlier this year, she made history as the first transgender woman to win a Grammy Award for Best Pop Duo slash Group Performance for her track Unholy with Sam Smith. The collaboration with Smith reached number one on the Billboard's Hot 100 chart, making Petras the first trans artist to be ranked. While she initially released music under her own imprint, Bunhead Records, the Heart to Break singer is currently signed with Republic Records. So she was one of the swimsuit cover models. Now, if I'm a woman, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm one of the other, see, there were four on the cover, so that's 28, if I'm one of the other 24 women, 
who were in the swimsuit issue but did not make the cover. I'm thinking to myself, how come once again a biological man gets to beat me out for a spot? I mean, is it any different than what Riley Gaines has said about swimming? Is it any different than what Riley Gaines has said about the fact is why is it once again we, we work so hard to get to get here? We do everything we got to do, all the sacrifices and everything for a biological man to take our spot. But then you have to ask yourself the other thing, too, which is that why do these companies think this is a good business decision? I mean, I understand you, 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 you know, you, you want to be woke and you want to have a good DEI score and you want to have your good ESG score and everything else. But it's not good business because there's no market for it. But I think what happens is like everything else. I think what happens is that these colleges and I'll get into this a little bit later in the show. The colleges spend so much time and money on this DEI crap and indoctrinating young people that by the time the young people actually then graduate college, and they're not adults yet because obviously now we understand you can't be an adult until you're 26 years old or whatever it is, uh, they go to work for corporations and they bring that woke DEI virus with them to the corporation. And then from there, they begin to think that everybody in America thinks like they do. And if they only appeal to that, well, then they can they can make a lot of money for everybody. And yet they don't turn around and understand the fundamental problem, which is you're not respecting your core audience. You're not respecting your audience. Like straight men want to want to look at beautiful women in swimsuits. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with heterosexual men wanting to look at beautiful women in swimsuits. Nothing. In fact, in fact, it's it's a it's a healthy thing. You're admiring beauty. No different than if you were admiring the, a beautiful picture of a woman on a, on a in a painting or a uh, portrait in a museum, whatever it is. Women's beauty is a is a is a is a God given gift. If you're fortunate enough to have it, and we have a society right now that shames that. It shames it. It says that it's a bad thing. So you have to have plus size models and you have to have um, transgender models and you have to have Martha Stewart on the cover, too, because we can't have a society that says that women and femininity are good things because woke has decided that these are problematic. I don't know why. I don't know. That's the thing. I can't figure out why. I don't know what it is about about celebrating women for their accomplishments, their beauty, their intellect, all of it. I don't know why that's a bad thing. Like at what point did that in society become a trigger other than the fact that woke has to infiltrate everything? And so they can't just sit back and say, you know what, let's sit this one out. It's the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Let's sit this one out. Instead, they got to come and say, well, now it's sexist now because you're not having a transgender biological man in your swimsuit edition. And Riley Gaines put it very, very well when she was testifying in front of Congress. She said, you know, if you want to call me a bigot, then I'll call you a misogynist. I'll call you a misogynist because once again, you are saying that men should take the place of women. You are saying that men should take the spot of a woman who's worked really hard to get there. Because that's what you're doing. I mean, you can pretend you can you we can we can all live in 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 the farce world of pretending like that one particular swimsuit model is a woman, but she's a biological man. I mean, he is a bi- biological man. Kim Petras is a man. So someone who's a woman did not get that spot on the Sports Illustrated 2023 cover. So once again, a biological man has pushed aside a woman. If you think that's okay, then I think Riley Gaines is right. Makes you a misogynist because you're not turning around and celebrating and achieve and, and appreciating the fact that a woman 
has worked hard to achieve that spot. Some of these women work very hard. They, they, they work hard to stay in shape. They work hard to have other talents outside of just looking good in a swimsuit. That's the point. This is supposed to be a celebration of, of, of all the, the different attributes that they bring to the table. But man, at some point you think these brands would learn, right? Whether it's Bud Light or it's Target or it's Sports Illustrated, you think at some point they'd learn the lesson, which is to just respect your audience. And don't, when you, it's, it's a saying, we've heard it, you've said it, I've said it, you go woke, go broke, but I mean, it's, it's true. And for a lot of these brands now, as they lose money and they're realizing they're losing money, they have to then spend more money to make up for the money that they're losing with their really bad decisions. And what does it come down to? Very much like what the head of marketing for Anheuser-Busch said, where we have to change the impression that our core audience is a bunch of straight white male frat guys. Like, what's wrong with straight white male frat guys, first of all? What, what's, wrong, what's wrong with that? Why, why is it a bad thing to just be a straight white male? Why is that under attack in America? I'm not saying that, that, that white men, white males have to be superior. I'm just simply saying, why, why do they have to be attacked? Like, I thought the whole point was, as a society is progressing, was we treat everybody equally. And we look at everybody equally, and we, just, we don't judge people based on the, the, the color of their skin. We judge them based on the content of their character. And, and instead, now we're at a place in America where you have the, all these brands turning around and saying, well, if you're a straight white male and you drink our beer, then you're the problem. So even though you pay our salary, you're the problem. And that's what Bud Light said. That's what that woman said in that podcast interview. So what do they have now? They've got a straight white male football player throwing Bud Light to a bunch of guys in a bar who are obviously, it's certainly appealing to the fact of this is, this is, this is a, a manly beer for men. Bud Light, a manly beer for men, which is what Bud Light used to market itself as. It was marketing itself as a beer for men for guys to drink and if bud light had decided they wanted to market to women that would have been fine too a lot of beers do that there's a there's a segment of the beer drinking population that happens to be female and you can do that by offering skinny cans you could have had a beautiful woman be your spokesperson you could have had uh but instead they went the dylan mulvaney route and then you just can't help but wonder how much of that is them saying, we really don't care whether or not we make money at all. We just want to make a point where where we care more about social justice and our causes than our bottom line. Interestingly enough, the new um, CEO of Unilever, which is the international global food conglomerate, has come out and said from now on, our focus is going to be making money. We have to get away from this now. We have to get away from this idea that first and foremost, our priority here is social justice or having a cause. Our priority has to be making money because they're losing a lot of it because a lot of their brands have engaged in the same nonsense. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli if you'd like to weigh in. So we got some snow. Hope you're enjoying it. My kids are home today. And uh, snowball fights, sledding, all the joys of childhood. Isn't it great? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Hopefully you're safe out there on the roads. And we have got a lot to talk about because it's also cold in New Hampshire. And what does it mean, the New Hampshire polls, the latest ones that came out today? What did Nikki Haley say last night on her CNN town hall that everybody's saying, aha, you are a 
flip flopper, Haley, plus a new nickname for Nikki Haley, which I think you're going to like. So all that is straight ahead today, 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. We're coming right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. The Zioli Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. You know, uh, you talk a lot about WEF, the WEF and Davos. Uh, Congressman Scott Perry, a good friend of the show, has introduced a new bill, the Defund Davos Bill. I like this, the Defund Davos Bill. Today, U.S. Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, joined by Representatives Tom Tiffany, Paul Gozer of Arizona, Diana Harshberger of Tennessee, Andy Ogles of Tennessee, Matt Rosendale, Montana, introduced the Defund Davos Act. The bill would prohibit... The Department of State and the United States Agency for International Development from providing any funding to the World Economic Forum, the WEF, forcing American taxpayers to fund annual ski trips for insular insular global elites is absurd, not to mention reprehensible. The World Economic Forum doesn't deserve one cent of American funding, and it's past time we defund Davos. Hosted in Davos, Switzerland, the WEF... Annual conference bring together CEOs, world leaders, and other officials to discuss elitist, dystopian ideas like global solidarity and eating bugs to solve world hunger. Throughout the years, the U.S. has spent millions to fund the forum and its anti-American conference. We will talk to our buddy, Dr. Victoria Coates at the Heritage Foundation uh, at 4.30 today. The uh, president of the Heritage Foundation went viral for his comments, where he uh, called them out. For being a bunch of elitist Bond villains, he didn't use the term Bond villain. I did, but um, same thing. I mean, it's the same. It's the same concept, right? These are elitist Bond villains who think they know best for the world and they tell us everything. Uh, the the DeSantis campaign ran the worst campaign in history. It's an opinion from Politico magazine that just came out. Tim Pawlenty and Scott Walker's presidential campaign can breathe a sigh of relief. The mantle of worst Republican presidential campaign ever has been lifted from their shoulders, stolen by the crew that ran Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign into the dirt. Um, I, you know, 
I think part of the problem here is that he started on such a high note. He had just crushed in Florida, got reelected, had this moment, and then they completely bungled the Twitter spaces launch. As usual, revisionist histories are being written even before the candidate has been officially buried, with DeSantis staffers and apologists offering a variety of nonsensical explanations. However, we need no gossip from inside sources to understand what happened. The debacle played out in broad daylight. Start with an indisputable fact. At the beginning of 2023, Governor Ron DeSantis was in first place, ahead of former President Donald Trump. Then acknowledged that the DeSantis campaign and Super PAC raised more money than any other campaign, including that of the former president. Many in the GOP billionaire class gushed over DeSantis, promising to spend whatever it would take to vanquish the former president. Um, I think also, too, the other issue that is problematic for Ron DeSantis in this whole thing is that a lot of people who were DeSantis supporters are Trump supporters. And the only other argument against Trump was that he wasn't electable. That was really the only argument. They liked his policies. They really did. And so we got into silly, silly arguments. Like arguments like um, who was better and who was worse at COVID, who believed Fauci more, who, you know, and it was nonsense. Because the answer is they both made a lot of mistakes and they both made a lot of great decisions during a pandemic that was completely unpredictable. Beyond that, though, what were the real big disagreements? I mean, what were the real big disagreements? DeSantis stumbled a little bit on his Ukraine answer early on until people said to him, listen, man, you know, this is not where the Republican Party wants to be. If Trump wasn't in the race, DeSantis would be the front runner by far. I mean, it'd be it would be no question about it. In my opinion, if Trump wasn't in the race right now, we would all be getting ready to coronate Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire Tuesday night. No doubt. So, I mean, you can write an article about all of his mistakes But at the very same time, sometimes there's just political headwinds that you just can't avoid. I told you months ago, I said, you know, it's it's the Scott Walker problem. You you perform really, really well in your state. But when you get on the national stage, it doesn't translate the same way as it would on a state level. And that's a problem, too. But bigger than that, even bigger than that is the fact that Donald Trump is so popular with Ron DeSantis voters. Trump won Florida. DeSantis won Florida. You know what I mean? It, you, you, so if Trump was not in the race, DeSantis would be the front runner, by far. But Trump's in the race. So now the only question for him is how do I how do I how do I keep the people who are my people? How do I keep them and how do I keep Trump people happy and not hate my guts going into 2028? But I think there's another question. The other question is how do I not be the guy that gets slaughtered in New Hampshire going into 2028? How do I not be the guy who came in third place and got slaughtered in New Hampshire in 2028? He's going on Fox News today. He's saying he's got all the resources to go all the way to Super Tuesday. You know, my, my, my buddy Johnny Cook on Twitter kept asking a good question, too, which is, yeah, but what, you know, what happens if Trump has to leave the race for whatever reason? Well, then get back in. Jump back in the race. I mean, all these candidates suspend their, their campaigns. They don't end them. There's a distinction. You suspend your campaign. Your campaign is still technically active. You can still raise money. You can still spend money. You have to file your your reports, but you can still have a staff. There's lots of different things. You're suspending the campaign. So let's say it's two months from now. Two months from now, Donald Trump uh, is kidnapped by aliens. Uh, Because that's the only thing. Short of death, I mean, he's not getting out of the race. Even if they find him guilty, even if he's in jail, it doesn't matter. 
So let's say he's kidnapped by aliens and he's gone, just disappears. Well, get back in the race. Because at that point, whatever delegates that have been racked up for him, they can go to you. So I don't I don't see what the downside is here to getting out now, backing Trump, and then if something changes, getting back in the race. If you, I mean, that would be that would be welcomed. I mean, if in two months from now, let's say, God forbid, Donald Trump died, say he passed away. I mean, he's, you know, he's almost 80 years old. It could happen. You know, he gets hit, hit by a bus, whatever. Then DeSantis jumps back in the race. Whatever delegates Trump had, they're not going to Nikki Haley at that point. Whatever delegates Trump had at that moment, they're not Haley's not getting them. As long as this is before the Republican National Convention, there's plenty of ways you can get back in the race and make changes. Plenty of ways. See, and that's and that's Haley's strategy. I mean, Haley's strategy is I'm just gonna stay in this whole thing until the convention, because what if? And then I want to be there as number two. But I got news for you. You're not gonna be. Because there's too many Trump delegates, there's too many Trump people at that convention who are not going to go for you. And they'll, they'll find a way to make sure that their delegate votes go to somebody else. Now, if I'm Governor Ron DeSantis, I want that person to be me. See, this is the other strategy, piece of strategy that I think his campaign is completely missing. And I do think his campaign is being run by a bunch of boobs. I really do. But that's the other strategy I would think. You know, you get out now, you help Trump win New Hampshire, you become his chief surrogate, you speak at the convention. If something happens, you are the guy. You're the heir apparent. Now, the other question then becomes, well, what happens if Trump wins, uh, names a running mate? That running mate doesn't automatically become the, the nominee. That running mate could become the running mate of Ron DeSantis. Let's say it's Nikki. Let's say let's say it's Christy Noem, or it's Elise Stefanik, for example. And Trump names them in in uh, right after New Hampshire. He comes out at a big press conference. He says, "I'm going with Elise Stefanik. I'm going with Christy Noem. Whatever it is, that's that's what I'm that's that's what I'm doing. I'm doing that. All right." And then he gets out of the race. So then Ron DeSantis gets in the race and says, "And they'll be my running mate too." I really don't see a situation where that person at that moment turns around and says, no, 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 now I want to run for president. Mm, I don't see it. And you haven't been nominated yet, so you haven't even accepted the Republican nomination of your party as vice president. So for me, I don't see a downside to him other than than you just you're going to make you're going to you just there's so much you have to lose. There's so much riding on this that you have to lose. I can't even. begin to grasp what the what the upside is to staying in knowing what i just outlined for you how that scenario could play could play out for desantis given that scenario because i'm sorry but if trump gets out of the race in a month because he's kidnapped by aliens and again it's not going to be because he's found guilty it's not going to be because he's in jail it's not going to be because of prison or any of those things it's going to have to be something like you know drops dead on the campaign trail or or he, he goes missing if any of those scenarios happen I don't think it's going to be, I don't think anybody but DeSantis would be who the party would want as long as he's not, as long as he's on Team Trump at that point. Because otherwise, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a fight. He will have made so many people with, who are Trump supporters angry at it with him at that point. I don't see the mantle just being passed that easily. So for all those reasons that I just outlined, I think it makes perfect sense for him to to make the determination to say, this is why I need to get out of the race. Other than getting slaughtered in New Hampshire and then getting coming in third in South Carolina and and then just a a, a very muddy pathway after that to lose three in a row. 
And 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 the bragging rights of being second in Iowa gets you how far? How how far does that get? You know what I mean? And I want to stop Haley. Believe me, I I, I watching her last night. Her flip flop on CNN about about the whole thing with well registering social media where everybody has to register, and she kept coming out and saying, "Oh no no no, I don't mean American citizens have to register. I'm not talking about American citizens. That's not what I mean. Of course, it's what you mean. It's what you said. You said everybody has to register on social media. That's what you said. And now Nikki's trying to walk it back in an ultimate flip flop. Eight five five eight three nine twelve ten on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Don't forget, coming up February 7th, our big book event with Terry Hayes. I'm so excited. Terry Hayes is the man and you're going to love the conversation we have together. Just get your tickets today by going to 1210WPHT.com 1210WPHT.com Do it today. And if you do that, you will uh, have a chance to have your book signed by Terry Hayes. We'll have a great conversation with him that night. We'll learn about the inner workings of the CIA, the deep state, all of it. 1210WPHT.com my event hosting international global best-selling author Terry Hayes his new book The Year of the Locust February 7th we're coming right back thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app so Ron DeSantis is going to have a press conference in New Hampshire any moment now we have it uh, queued up uh, we'll take it live. I have no, have no idea if he's going to drop out or he's going to double down on the fact that he's staying in. But they have a little they have a little thing set up for him to give a little press conference. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll jump in and grab that live for you, and uh, we'll have a we'll have a chat about that and find out exactly uh, what that is. Plus, there is a um, a, a real a terrible nominee by Joe Biden. Shocking, I know, to uh, to the courts. And we will talk about that a little bit later in the show as well. There's a lot of, uh, of, of things around that. But I wanted to uh, play for you. You know, I, as I'm always watching politics of the day and trying to figure out the, um, the pulse of everything, even on a snow day, because we're live on a snow day, we're not going anywhere, we're right here, it's too close to New Hampshire, I got to be here, that's how I look at it. But I think about this now, and I look at the news of the day, DeSantis says he's in till Super Tuesday. So before he speaks, which could be any moment now, and we'll find out what he says, uh, he told Hugh Hewitt yesterday morning, Hugh Hewitt is a nationally syndicated radio host, um, he's not going anywhere, but this was yesterday. So a lot can change in 24 hours. Take a listen. But Governor, before we go to the break, are you in through the end of March? Do you have the money and the staff and the ability to compete through the end of March? Yes, on that, 100%. we, We can do that. Okay. Yes, on that, 100%, we can do that. So the the cameras are set up outside a little thing in New Hampshire, and he's going to speak. And we'll find out exactly what he says and and um, and, and what that is. But again, you know, I, I, I truly, and I mean this, I, I like DeSantis a lot. I do. I always have. I, I've always liked him. I've always thought he was incredibly talented, and I think he's got a great political future. But I think the decisions he makes in the next several days are crucial to that future i really do i really do and um he's got a chance here to right the ship i think you got to take it it's just sometimes somebody put this well on twitter it's the old kenny rogers song you got to know when to hold them you got to know when to fold them you got to know when to walk away you got to know when to run you never count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough for counting when the dealings are done but that's the thing. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. You got to know when to run. Uh, let's see this now. This is President Biden about airstrikes in Yemen. 
stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. This is Biden talking to White House on the on the lawn of the White House yesterday. This is very confusing to understand exactly what he's talking about here. But regarding the airstrikes in Yemen that are designed to stop the Houthis, are they going to work? No. Are the strikes going to continue? Yes. I think it's what the president's saying here. Take a listen. Are the airstrikes in Yemen working? Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Are you concerning the Arab American vote voting for you during the election because of Gaza? Many say they will not vote for you. Well, look, uh, the president wants to put a, the former president wants to put a ban on Arabs coming into the country. We'll make sure he, we understand who cares about the Arab population, number one. Number two, we got a long way to go in terms of settling the situation in Mm-hmm. So are they working? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Okay. All right. But they're not working. We'll talk to Dr. Victoria Coates about that. Are they working? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. So we'll just keep, you know, useless bombs, useless by guess. Yeah, sure. Why not? Useless bombs. Uh, speaking of useless bombs, you know, during the break, Henry jumped into my ear. And uh, in full disclosure today, I'm at the uh, the home studio compound because of the weather. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an S show here. Complete S show. So first of all, Reagan is sick. She had 102 degree fever. Um, my other two kids are bored out of their mind. It's snowy, but I got to work, so I'm not taking the day off. Bridget's got to deal with Reagan, so the, it's been kind of an S show, and uh, all day it has been uh, just nuts. But I did manage to make homemade pasta today, and also uh, beef short ribs in Barolo. Ooh. I did that this morning. All right. Yes, I did. Right? Sounds delicious. It is delicious. Homemade pasta is one of the easiest things in the world to make. People get intimidated by it, but they shouldn't because it's very easy to make. All you need is flour and eggs, and that's it. So two ingredients, flour and eggs. But people get very nervous. You shouldn't. But then the beef uh, short ribs in Barolo, I was able to use, actually, I'm very proud of this fact. You got you to gotta use a bold wine, and Barolo is very expensive, Henry. And um, I'm trying to be a man of economic means. You know what I mean? Of course, of course. In in these tough economic yeah, times, trying times, trying times. A bottle of Barolo can run you fifty bucks. I'm not I'm not spending that to cook with it. No way. No. Um, and what I want to do is, of course, I want to open the bottle at nine a.m., start cooking, and then drink the rest of it. <laughs> well, Jack Tomasello from Tomasello Winery was kind enough to send me one of his 2021 Syrah. It's a 2021 Syrah with the alcohol content 13.9%, which is very similar to Barolo's alcohol content. So it's a strong red wine. So I threw a cup in there and then polished off the rest of the bottle by about 9.15 a.m. <laughs> and I'll tell you the results uh, soon because it's, it's, it's you know, then it's got to simmer for hours on the stove until the, the short ribs basically fall off the bone. So... Pretty good. You're getting me hungry, man. I still got to be here for another three hours. I know, but then, well, we, we both do. But then the other thing about that is that um, I didn't shovel yet. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to have to, too, when I get home, too. Yeah. Ugh. And tomorrow it's going to be bitter cold where it's going to, I guess it's all going to turn to ice. Fun. Yeah, so this is one of those things where if you want to, sometimes, you, you you know, when the French Charles Industrial Complex wins like this, you think to yourself, all right, I'll wait till tomorrow to shovel, but it's all going to ice over. So. Yeah. No, you got to, 
See, I, I don't like uh, shoveling when it's still snowing because it's like, why would you do that? But at the same time, like once it starts getting a little dark, you're like, Ugh, I got, I got, I got to get on this now. I can't wait. I, for I agree. I agree. And I think kids need to be outside today. Uh, don't you think when snow days? Oh, absolutely. They need to be outside. Yeah, in the snow, sledding, doing whatever. Get them outside and get them enjoying things. And that's the message I told my wife, too. I said, let them go outside. It, it's good for them. I think snow days are healthy. In fact, I believe that children should have snow days. It's very important for them. It's good for their soul. Go outside, build a snowman, have a snowball fight, punch each other, like I mean, throw snowballs in each other's faces. That's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Good. Everyone gets hit with a snowball every once in a while, and they don't really realize how hard it hurts until you get hit. There's nothing wrong with getting hit in the face by a snowball. No. It's not, no and nothing crazy is going to happen to you doing that. Maybe if it's there's some ice in there, but... Hey, we were talking about Sports Illustrated earlier. You brought up a couple of other good points about Sports Illustrated, why you think uh, it also went under. And I, I wasn't aware of that because I don't read it. Yeah. But um, what was going on over there in addition to what I talked about? I mean, so, yeah, in addition to, like, the whole, you know, trans swimsuit model thing, there was a story, like, a month or two ago about how uh, Sports Illustrated was publishing articles in their magazines and online using AI-generated people. Like, they had a whole fake profile picture and everything. And while they... You know, they're still debating whether or not there was, were real stories written by real people and just published under those pseudonyms. Uh, it's not a good reflection on the company when a lot of your staff writers end up being fake people. Mm. So I think uh, their credibility took another giant hit with that. And then another thing that really drove me up the wall is that uh, Michigan, they just won the national championship for football. Um, they made a commemorative issue for Michigan, and it's a disgrace. It's I mean, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated used to mean something. You know, that was like, you've arrived. Like, I remember when the Sixers got on it a few years ago when they had Jimmy Butler and they just got Tobias Harris and all that. That was awesome. I was like, this is cool. They're finally going to win something. Obviously, that didn't work out. But it's, it's something that's important. And you look at this Michigan commemorative issue, it's terrible. It's, it just says Michigan on it with a picture of their running back, Blake Corum, running with the football. But the problem with the picture of Blake Corum is that they didn't even fully edit out the background. You can It's a blue background, the Michigan blue. It's a Michigan blue background, but you can still see the field and the playing surface uh, like within the edits of uh, the picture. It's terrible. Oh, like man. Whoever, whoever photoshopped this onto the cover clearly didn't care or didn't take the time to edit everything out. It's, right. I mean, it's horrible. So I mean that, and they put a dude on the cover in a swimsuit issue. Yeah. So uh, just all those things, all those mistakes, all those factors together. Yeah. I mean, if your stories are fake and your covers stink, I mean, why would anyone want to? And read the them? women you're putting on the cover are fake. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're not women. See, that's the other thing. I mean, I yeah, you're, you're right. AI generated is one thing. Then give me an AI generated woman on the cover. Might as well. Right? I'll take that. Sure. I'll take a hot AI chick in a swimsuit. For the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Model Edition over, over a guy. <laughs> I'm going to grants with you there. I'm just saying, you know. You can make him look any uh, way you want. Yeah, there's lots of, you have lots of options here.
But still, at the end of the day, I do think the audience for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition are straight guys who like to see hot chicks in swimsuits. Call me crazy. I think that's you. you, Here's your marketing plan. One line. Cater to straight guys who like beautiful women in swimsuits. That's it. One, that's your whole marketing plan in one line. You don't even need a second (laughs) sentence. You don't even need a comma. All right, 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. An awful appointment to the courts by Joe Biden. We'll talk about that. Uh, And plus, Biden admits the strikes against the Houthis are not working, but yet they're going to continue. What are we doing here? Four o'clock hour on a snowy Friday straight ahead. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Gotta Hotel, Casino, and Spa. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. With so much uncertainty in the world today, you may find yourself wondering, is now even the right time to retire? And so many people are waiting, and those folks are going to be waiting a really long time, I hate to say, because there's no perfect time. The market is always unpredictable and volatile. Fortunately, Jim Cipriati has been helping get people to, through, and beyond retirement for over 25 years. Each week, he wants to help give you that freedom to retire. Listen to Freedom to Retire with Jim Cipriati, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday afternoons at 5 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. New Year's resolutions are easy to make and hard to keep. So why not make a New Year's renovation instead and start with a new kitchen or bath project with New Year's savings from Colonial Marble and Granite. Right now, get a fully installed new kitchen countertop of $19.99 or more for 20% off with $0 down and 0% interest. So get renovating. This year won't be new for long. Sale ends January 29th. Restrictions apply. See colonialmarble.net for details. Start 2024 by building stronger financial roots with First Harvest Credit Union. Open our growth savings account and earn as high as 3.5% annual percentage yield while enjoying flexible access to funds. Want more reasons why we're a better place to grow? Check out our competitive certificate and IRA specials as well. Visit firstharvestcu.com or your nearest branch to open your account or to get details. First Harvest Credit Union, serving the Delaware Valley for over 84 years. Membership restrictions apply, insured by NCUA. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now on talk radio 1210 WPHT Rich Zioli 
Kids, rumors are that Senator Tim Scott is going to endorse former President Donald Trump any moment now. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis may be giving a press conference in New Hampshire. What will he be saying? We are monitoring all of this for you on a busy pre-New Hampshire Friday. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. I may have mentioned yesterday, and forgive me if I forgot to mention it, that I was on Fox News yesterday. I was on America's Newsroom with Dana Perino, my buddy, and also with my other buddy, Jennifer Stefano from the Commonwealth Foundation. And she joins me now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD as we reunited the band together yesterday. Reunited the band. How are you, buddy? Hello? Are you there? There I am. Okay. I didn't hear you first. We're reunited again. I know we should. Dynamic duo here. I know. Well, I, I told Fox News, I said, look, if you want me, you get Stefano. That's how it works now. That's how it works. I love it. That's how I do. I'm going to do it, too. I'm like, look, I need Zioli. Okay, <laughs> people with names ending in vowels right here. Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, we were on there yesterday chatting about homelessness in Philadelphia, which is an absolute mess. And uh, Dana asked me a question about the new mayor. Do, what, what do I put her chances of success at? I gave my answer. What do you? But I want to ask you, Jennifer Stefano. What What is your? What What do you give the new mayor of Philadelphia her chances of success? What do you think? So I think it's dependent on one very important factor that is is hard to measure, um, and you know it when you see it. And that's how courageous she wants to be. Um, Cheryl Parker has no loyal opposition, no traditional loyal opposition, right? The Republican Party, there are a lot of really great people in Philadelphia that are Republicans and trying to lead, but it's largely not a factor in challenging Parker, okay? Um, There's a lot of good people there trying to do their best, but largely it's not, right? So she is she going to take on the radical left-wing elements of the Democratic machine in the city of Philadelphia, whose ideas and policies and postures and attitudes and protests are destroying and undermining that city. From the working party to to the the teachers unions and others, like, is she going to go after them? Because I'll tell you another Democrat who did this, who took on the unions, Ed Rendell. When Ed Rendell came into office, he took over the unions and he renegotiated all their contracts. He was very courageous. And I think that's why he was so popular and successful. But, you know, Rich, uh, courage is in short order these days. Yeah, very, very well said. And I liked everything that the mayor had to say in her inauguration speech. I also like the fact that she's empowering the new police commissioner. I I like all the things that she's saying about law and order and public safety, because I do think it's the top of the list. The point that I was making yesterday was, but you have the Larry Krasner problem. I mean, much like American cities across the country, we have a progressive kook prosecutor who does not want to go after criminals. That's right. That's right. And I think what, what, what I say to that is, you know, Sherelle Parker has to do more than just talk a good game, okay? She addressed all these problems, all these concerns. Great. She's empowering the police chief. And as, and talking to a lot of cops down in Philly, she has a pretty positive relationship with, with you know, the beat cops, with the guys not in the political appointee positions, but actual cop cops, right? She has good relationships um, with them. But she's got to put 
some real um, policy power behind it. However, when it comes to Krasner, where she does not have the power he's elected, and she should be out on her bully pulpit going after him. It is her job to make him what he already is, which is public enemy number one. This guy is an enormous problem. He is why so many people are suffering. Why? And, and if you do not have a consequence for committing murder, uh, more murders can happen. And even though crime rates are actually returning to normal levels, you know, pre-COVID, although normal is not good. There's still hundreds of murders in Philadelphia. So she can't just ride on, well, things are sort of getting better. She's got to point out how dangerous Krasner is for people just feeling empowered to commit crime because they know they're not going to get in trouble. That's true. I mean, that's a great point you make. Jennifer Stefano is with me, executive vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. She also writes a column for the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, the only sensible mind over there. And, of course, we were on Fox News together yesterday on America's Newsroom with Dana Perino. That was actually fun. We took a lot of pictures in the uh, in, in the in the studio. So we, we're in Philly doing the, the shot, and we're in separate rooms, and they have – it's not like a green screen. It's a monitor behind us with a backdrop of Philadelphia. So Jennifer and I took a bunch of pictures in front of the, of the monitor. That, that actually was my favorite part of the day. Oh, it was super fun. I, we were having such a blast. It was so fun. And I said, do, we, do, we, do you and I, Rich, really care and love giving our opinion and weighing in on the news today? Yes, we do. But do we also love to stay by in the studio and do a bunch of super fun, hilarious selfies? Yes, we also love that. Yeah. You know, we're giving so much to the world when we do those things. And do we like wearing makeup? Yes, we do. Yeah. Oh, I certainly do. And I don't like, you know, don't worry too much, Rich. You're going to start competing with me. I'm going to start feel bad. But you know, well, my I, mother already, you're already my mother's favorite. So. <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. I was, I was watching my frown lines. I'm thinking, I'm thinking a couple of Botox shots. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. You don't need them. You look perfect for TV or radio. But it was fun. Sure. Look, I love Fox. They're really good to us. You know, Fox has always been very good to me. I've been going on there for years. Dana is a lovely friend. And But what I really appreciate is how much they care about what's going on in Philadelphia. Uh, if only the politicians cared as much and, and could see that their ideas and progressive ideas are destructive. You know, yeah. you could be a good person and become convinced, hey, progressive ideology, I think that's the best way, right? Like, people thought at the end of World War II, communism was going to be a better way to make sure there were never any Nazis, right? They were good people. They were decent. But once you start to see the results and the, the horror uh, of these things, you, you'd think some people would say, hey, this is going really bad. We have to stop. But there doesn't so seem to be a lot of mind changing on the left. No, and and I think I think they're getting worse. I mean, this appointment by Biden of this judge, this nomination yeah. to the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals is very concerning. Um, now, the not the guy's name, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Adil Manji. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I'm how not, you say uh, it. Yeah. I'm not sure Mangy. how you say, it, but I'll go with you. Adil right, Henry just came in my ear and said, "Mangi." Henry, what did you YouTube that? Mangi. That's how uh, Senator Kennedy said it. Okay, Mangi. All right, okay. Adil Mangi. Okay. Thank you. Um, this yeah, is this a bad is, dude. This is a problem. This is very under the radar right now. Um, he would have, this man would have a lifetime appointment to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, a lifetime appointment. But here's the deal. This is a man that has supported and sat on the board of a group over at Rutgers Law that is nothing short of anti-Western, anti-Semitic, 
an anti-American. I mean, on the anniversary of 9-11, um, this Mangi is hosting an event that has a, that, that's featuring a speaker that has called for infatata against the United States. Like, calling for the undermining and overthrowing of our government, the murder of our officials, and this guy is hosting him. I mean, I, I really feel that there is this sort of, a person like this does not belong in power in the United States. Does he have the right to exist here? You know, if he's a citizen, fine. Does he have the right to have an expressive view that he would admire terrorists? Fine, that's under free speech. But you want to give him authority in our justice system? And here's the problem. The Democrats knew this, uh, so they're calling it on the part of Republicans trying to, to, to say something about it, that it's Islamophobic to um, be against um, this judge because he's a Muslim. Not against him because he's a Muslim. I'm against him because he is for, apparently, people who want to hurt the United States and oversaw a center at the law school that is nothing short, again, of anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-Western. And I don't want those people in charge. Like, they can be here. They can say what they want. You, they should not be in charge of any branches of our government. Yeah, you know, it's uh, this piece in the Washington Times that I read, too. It said, during Mr. Mangi's tenure, the center engaged in activities and hosted events criticized for propagating anti-Israel hatred, featured speakers with pro-terrorist backgrounds, the involvement of Sami al-Aryan, a convicted felon who pleaded guilty to aiding Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a designated foreign terrorist organization, in a center event is particularly alarming. Palestinian Islamic Jihad is indisputably a terrorist organization known for violent acts against civilians including the October 7th terrorist attack in Israel that killed both Israeli and American citizens. Furthermore, the center's stance on Hamas, another group responsible for the October 7th terrorist attack, is deeply concerning. The center's refusal to condemn such acts and instead frame them as a response to colonial violence and oppression displays derangement in a disturbing bias. Now, Senator Kennedy gave it to him pretty good yesterday at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, but unfortunately, it, it, it seems like this... This nomination may be headed for uh, for an ultimate confirmation by the Senate. Do, do I dare say I have to put some hope here that maybe John Fetterman might object to this? Well, let's hope any any Democrat with a conscience would recognize that you know the people, American citizens, have the right to say what they want. So, if Mr. Mangi wants to sit on the board, by the way, the board, um, the advisory board, is called for security, race, and rights at Rutgers Law School, which is so funny because it's really not for any of those things, right? When you're a pro-terrorist supporting organization, you're not for actually security, race, or rights. Um, but but what I would say, you know, the, the disappointing thing is a number of Jewish groups have joined in in calling the Republicans Islamophobic. But that should not look. I'm allowed to judge what I think is anti-Semitic. And, and I think a lot of what I've seen and read about from this extremist center that Mr. Mangi sat on is, in fact, um, anti-Semitic. I, that is my belief. Um, and while there are Jewish organizations that may support um, this person, I don't, and I think it's bad for America because it is everything this this gentleman has overseen, being on this Rutgers board, has been to look at people who want to just destroy the United States and Western civilization. They are against it, and without that, what are we getting in its place? Well, look at Hamas's charter and the Islamic Caliphate. I don't believe in that.
That is not how I want to live. So I think we really just have to speak up. And yeah, you know, let's hope some Democrats do the right thing here. Jennifer Stefano, another issue I wanted to ask you about was um, uh, school choice, obviously very important to the Commonwealth Foundation. Governor Josh Shapiro last week put out a tweet about National School Choice Week, and I had a chuckle because it seems like Josh Shapiro, if there's any issue that he flips, flip flops more on, it's school choice. Where does all that stand in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? I mean, here's a guy that ran saying he was committed to it. Um, the, the, the Opportunity Scholarship Bill came up, you know, it's come up several times in the legislature. Where do things stand with all that? So we are now gearing up. The the governor's budget address is coming up in a matter of weeks and very much would like to hear him say out loud that this budget session, which will end on June 30th, that this budget session, he, Governor Shapiro, will get lifeline scholarships across the finish line and get the money to follow the children who are most in need in our Commonwealth. That's what I want to hear in his budget address. But I, I tell you, I believe that that there are enough votes and enough power now to get this over the finish line. And I do think you're going to see um, a, a change here. And I think the number one thing that, that schools can do, certainly the Catholic schools in in the city that are serving, um, going into neighborhoods that have no options and opportunities and terrible schools, those Catholic schools, those parents, those teachers, those administrators have to be more vocal. Get those politicians down to those schools. Let those children talk to them about what will happen if these schools falter or don't have enough money. Yeah, that's. I mean, it would be such a wonderful thing to happen. And I, and I personally think, I mean, you talk about the courage of standing up against the unions. And you mentioned Ed Rendell earlier in Philadelphia. If Josh Shapiro stands up to the teachers unions in Pennsylvania and pushes school choice forward, that that will, I think, set him apart from every Democrat in the country. I mean, that that's oh, the play absolutely. here for him without question. Absolutely. Josh Shapiro could be a new type of Democrat, one that, honestly, some moderate Republicans would probably appreciate and want to follow. I mean, there are a lot of people on the Republican side of the aisle, love it or hate it, that really have been completely turned off by Donald Trump, are totally disaffected, and and don't really, are not particularly proud to be a Republican. And so if you get a moderate, a guy like Josh Shapiro, who comes in and does things that nobody else in his party is doing, and he's the first Democrat in the entire country to get it done, he he could win many Republican votes, just as he did when he got elected to office. But this would put him on the national stage. He would get a lot of national attention for this. And I think this is a man, as you and I know, Rich, has a lot of national ambition. And I think it's it's nothing but a net good, you know, both from a political strategy point of view, but certainly morally to helping those kids. And I always say good policy equals good politics. This, he, could be, he could build his star power off of this. Well, you know, if, if you if you go against the opposite, I mean, the playbook for Democrats when they run nationally is to go super wacko left. But I mean, that lane is is occupied by a lot of different super wacko lefties. So to your point, if you want to win over the no labels crowd, the crowd that hates Donald Trump, if you want to win over the Larry Hogan's of the world and, and, and that type of voter, try a different lane, because the other lane yeah. is, is completely is, is very crowded with people like Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer and, and Phil Murphy and others.
So he could try a different lane. There's no doubt the guy's got ambitions. I mean, the Pennsylvania governor wants to be president. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He came down and, and, and personally saved 95, or at least to listen to him, he did. Um, personally yeah. came down and saved William Penn, if you listen to him, he did anyway. I mean, he wants to do that. So yeah, maybe maybe he'll try something refreshing and, and try to take a playbook uh, page from Bill Clinton's 1992. You know, I'm a different kind of Democrat because it, the Democrat Party right now is viewed by uh, by even by Democrat voters as being freaking nuts. They're nuts. I, I, the, the Democrats have completely lost the plot. They're being led by President Biden, who is who's growing. I mean, look, if you are not concerned for the mental health and well-being of our president, you, you just have no feeling. I mean, the man is clearly struggling and not doing well, not cognitively, not physically. And, you know, people who hate Republicans and have no alternative and certainly the haters of Trump, they're going to stick with Biden, right? But but I'm I'm telling you, um, the Democrats have lost the plot completely, and this could be such a destructive year for them because you're looking at the reaction to DEI. And by the way, everyone's blaming conservatives for taking down Harvard and you know blowing this up. I wish conservatives were this effective on a regular basis. The fact is, a lot of not conservatives. Uh, are pissed about it too excuse my friends but so I, I think the democrats are in big trouble here no matter what but shapiro god willing he really is a new type of democrat because look there's always going to be democrats better they be more shapiro like right now where he seems like he's willing to negotiate and be reasonable rather than just these radicals who, have, have, who are going to run the country into the ground and cost right. us everything. Well, I guess we shall see at his budget address. All right, my friend, always a pleasure. Great being on Fox News with you yesterday. Jennifer Stefano, Executive Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. Say hi to your mom for me, please. I certainly will. Rich, thank you so much. You are the best, and I always love listening to you every day. Take care, my friend. See you, Jennifer. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, I'll tell you about Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. My great friends over there. So days like today when the roads are a little bit icy, snowy, and a lot of people are idiots when they drive on roads like this. I'm very grateful that the Volvo keeps me and my family nice and safe and sound. We have two SUVs, the XC40, which is a little bit of a smaller one, and the XC90, which is the big one with the third row, which is great for getting the kids around. Around. Uh, a ton of cargo space but you know i used to drive the volvo s60 and i loved it i love it's a beautiful sedan it's made right here in the united states of america gorgeous car and a cherry hill volvo you have the opportunity to buy an sc60 courtesy vehicle for less than twenty nine thousand dollars right and with less than 5,000 miles these are beautiful cars see they use them for valet service if they need to pick up uh, somebody for their car or they will use them as loaner cars so they're kept in pristine condition have less than 5,000 miles on them and these luxurious sedans are normally way more expensive than that so for less than $29,000 you can drive away in a beautiful beautiful Volvo S60 all-wheel drive keep you nice and safe on the road all the latest technology, you will love it. But go see Cherry Hill Volvo today. You know, we broadcast live every day from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios, and we are grateful for their support. Judith Krupnik is the best, and she and Yosef and the entire team are there for you to make sure that you are happy, to make sure that you are satisfied, to give you the luxury experience that you deserve. So please... 
Go see them today. They're right on Route 70 in Cherry Hill, minutes over the bridge. They are the region's most accessible Volvo dealership. And there's a reason why Cherry Hill Volvo has been in business since Judith's father started the dealership. It's because of their commitment to giving people a great experience. And so now they have to do this big renovation. And to do the renovation, they got to make room for construction equipment. And that's your opportunity to save by getting your hands on one of these Volvo S60s, courtesy cars, less than 29,000 miles. I'm assuming less than 5,000 miles for less than $29,000. It's a great opportunity. Go see them today. Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill, where relationships matter. The Zioli Show, on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. And she's also the vice president of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. She's Philadelphia's own Dr. Victoria Coates. Hello, doctor. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Rich, and welcome to the Winter Wonderland. It's beautiful out, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. The snow is back. The snow is back. Uh, Despite climate change, somehow we have snow. It's amazing. It's remarkable. It really is. Uh, But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I will tell you, the Coates Labrador uh, twins are extremely excited about it. Oh, that's good. Excellent. Yeah, I had to get my son (laughs) off the devices today and say, go outside and play in the freaking snow. Go play in the snow. Do it. Uh, well, I hope you did. I, this morning it was funny because I, 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 I had NPR on for some reason. I don't know why. Sometimes I just uh, will say to uh, that you know weird, creepy robot device, you know, give me an update. And she played a little bit of NPR. And the person made it a point to say that even though it's very cold right now, we can expect warm temperatures next week. Like In other words, I don't think this cold is, is normal for January, okay? Because climate change is still real. It's still going to warm up eventually, all right? It's like they could not wait to just get that point across. It's it's an article of space for them. And, you know, they keep getting themselves twisted up because, remember, it was global warming and everything was going to get warmer and warmer. Then things got colder and colder and it became climate change. And now it we've had some warmer weather in the last year or so. You know, we're back to the global warming. You'd think that they learned their lesson uh, and and sort of grow some humility that we don't know what's happening with our weather and our climate and that, you know, these things may be beyond our control. So let's let's begin with what Biden said earlier today about the Houthis. They were the Houthis, Houthis. You say Houthi, I say Houthi. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah, the, the I, I actually say Houthi, Houthi because, right? yeah, yeah. And, and I, I actually use Houthi because I frequently want to think about Hootie and the Blowfish, because that's how I remember it. <laughs> if that's what works, listen, you know, everybody's <laughs> got to have a, a trick. Uh, are they redesignated now as a, as a terror group, or what, what's the deal with that? My, my apologies for the weediness of this answer, but it is a very technical issue. There are two ways the U.S. government can make designate you as officially as a terrorist. The first is the foreign terrorist organization list, which is under the purview of the uh, the State Department. And the second, which was developed after 9-11 by the Bush administration, is as a specially designated global terrorist. And that's SDGT. So folks may be hearing that acronym. That's what it is. And the of the two, the SDGT is the less significant because it is primary primarily a Treasury Department. Uh, designation. And so what 
what we did in the Trump administration is put them on both lists because that's the most powerful thing you can do. That's how you give the most authorities for actions against them. What the Biden administration did did is make them an uh, SDGT, again, not a foreign terrorist organization. And the reason that's important uh, is actually hits a little bit close to home. We have the case I think we've discussed from last month of the guy from New Jersey uh, who is Egyptian by uh, by heritage, but born in the United States, went off to uh, Africa to join uh, an FTO group to wage jihad against America. And he was scooped up under one count of providing material support to a terrorist group, which is an authority you have under an FTO. So if he had gone off and joined the Houthi in December, he would have been perfectly within his legal rights to fire on U.S. warships. But because the group he went off to join was an FTO, we had a reason to indict him, bring him back here, and now we can charge him. So that's the, and that is the that is the uh, authority that we don't have now because of the way they chose to do it. So I'm actually referring to a long-winded way of saying this is terrorist light. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're explaining it that way. It's mind-boggling, and, and I'm sure that as people are listening right now, they're, they're saying to themselves, well, well, if there's even a chance that they might be a terrorist group and we can then be able to prosecute them here in the United States of America, why would we, why would we designate them otherwise if they were already designated a certain way? What was the point of changing the designation in the first place by the Biden administration? Well, the reason they did it in March of 21 was that they were busily uh, enacting their program of reversing everything we did, regardless of its validity. And this this didn't escape that net. And what they wanted to do was start to advance some kind of peace process between the Houthi and, and the Saudis, get to some kind of diplomatic agreement on Yemen, which would allow them to claim a victory and then set up the bigger agreement they wanted, which was a new nuclear deal with Iran. And the removal of the Houthi from the list would please the Iranians, too, because if you're an FTO, who are the people who are providing the most support for the Houthi as an FTO? Well, that would be the Iranians. So you would have all sorts of authorities to go after them and their illicit oil shipments and all their other nefarious activities. But if you lift that, and we've seen the results of that, you have less authorities to do that. They don't enforce the sanctions. And the Iranians promptly run amok. So that's why they originally did it. But the other thing they're saying right now that's not factually correct uh, in an effort not to call people liars is that they didn't have time to do the FTO, that it's, it's, a, it's an onerous process. And that is true because I participated both in this one and uh, more closely in the one when we, we designated the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as an FTO. It is hard. There's a lot of resistance against it in the U.S. government. But unlike our process, which was from the ground up, we left them with the whole package. They have the file. We made the case. It passed the legal muster. So all they had to do was get it out, update it with an intelligence update, and hand it to the Secretary of State. And it's important to note, too, that that the issue here, I mean, there's a story from CNBC about this. The Red Sea attacks are already bigger issue for supply chain than the pandemic, according to uh, a maritime advisory, that the continued rebel attacks by the Houthis on cargo ships and tankers is now a bigger impact event for shipping than the early pandemic, according to the latest data from maritime advisory firm Sea Intelligence, which measures changes in vessel capacity. That's not good. I mean, obviously, this the, the longer transit around the 
Cape of Good Hope of Africa is having a significant impact. It's also causing prices to go up as well. It's also causing supply chain disruptions. So I guess the question then becomes, what do we do about it? Um, Biden ordered some missile strikes on the Houthis. I'll, I'll play this clip for you. I know you've heard it already. We played it earlier in the show, but he was asked if they're working. The answer is no. However, they're going to keep they're going to continue. This is what the president said. Go ahead. Are the airstrikes in Yemen working? Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Okay, so are they working? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. I mean, I just, I don't even understand sometimes whether or not he really processes anything he says. Yeah, it's a confounding statement because, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same failed thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But at this point, he's doing it with U.S. taxpayer dollars. And these strikes aren't cheap. What is cheap are the missiles that the Iranians and the Houthi are lobbying at us. And every time we respond with a very expensive, high technology uh, system, not every time or when they when the few times they've ordered them, they've cost us a lot of money. So he's basically just wasting our money over there on a failed effort. I would rather they do nothing at all than than be a failure at it. And I think, you know, it just it, it, it shows the demand for either, OK, turn tail, come back here, bring everything back. And, you know, cede this space to the Iranians, say goodbye to Israel, all that that entails, or, you know, stand up for the United States of America. We have such enormously capable men and women in the region. We have given them incredible uh, equipment. And if you're if you're going to try to stop this and the two commodities that I would be most concerned about going up through the Red Sea are food. And, and energy. And you want to prevent them from being a negative impact on Americans who are going to have to pay higher, even higher prices for gas and for groceries. You know, you've got to put a stop to this. And the idea that we're just going to sort of drift into a stalemate with the ever looming possibility of getting involved in a horrible war in Yemen where everybody hates us I mean, is just it's mind bogglingly irresponsible. Dr. Victoria Coates is with me. She is the vice president at the Davis Institute for Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. By the way, the president of the Heritage Foundation went viral yesterday uh, for calling out the WEF. I, I, I love this. I mean, it was great. We played it on the show. Everybody's heard it. Fantastic job calling out these elite. Dob- the, my, my two favorite people at the WEF this year, obviously him and the president of Argentina, uh, Javier Mele, who's just fantastic. But when you're, but when your boss, the president of the Heritage Foundation, went there and called out the WEF and Davos as a bunch of elitist snobs trying to control our life. I, I mean, people were cheering him on. It was great. Oh, it, it was, I think it was a watermark moment, both for Kevin, but also for the Heritage Foundation, because when the he got the invitation a little bit ago, and, you know, we discussed whether it was a good idea for him to go, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit I lobbied against it. Just because I would have done the same thing if I were you. (laughs) Well, I've never been to Davos, but I have a lot of friends who staff the president in Davos and the logistics are a horrible nightmare. It's really, really hard to get in and out of there. The hotel situation is extremely tight and they had made a condition that he could bring no staff. And as a former staffer, you know, I find that shocking. How could he possibly function, uh, you know, without a staff? 
because that's what makes us necessary. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's perfectly We've logical. Been, I've been a staff <laughs> member. You've been a staff member. We, <laughs> you know we, what it is. We, we exist to staff our principles. It's why we're there. I was say, and no free-range principles. You've got to put your foot down. <laughs> so I... I, so I, I was just worried they were going to use the logistics to punish him and make his life really miserable. Uh, he decided he was old enough to make his own travel arrangements, <laughs> uh, and like Jimmy Carter, carry his own bag. And I'm so glad he went. I mean, he just he hit it out of the park doing media. And then when we had the event yesterday morning, he just let him have it. And he did it with a smile on his face. He did it courteously. It wasn't personal. And, you know, nobody rushed the stage or cut him off or anything. But boy, did that message get out that the American people are not in favor of this. And you all need to be prepared for a potential very significant change in Washington, D.C. next year. And you all know what that can look like. And so get ready. Buckle up. And it was just it was, I think, such a critical message coming from the right person at the right time. I agree. And I loved his point about science, you know, and he brought up the <laughs> biology issue about science mm-hmm. as they're all lecturing us about science and, you know, eating bugs. I also think, too, uh, today, Representative Scott Perry and a number of other uh, Republicans uh, put a bill in to defund Davos, saying, why are we paying for, for all these elites to go? Why are we paying for our people to go? I mean, is, is there any value to this thing anymore at, when we know that there's a global agenda? They, they want the United States to give up our sovereignty for this disease X, you know, that they keep talking about. They want the United States to cede sovereignty when it comes to environmental policy. What really is the point other than for us to go there and, and, and play defense if it's a Republican president or to go there as a, if a Democrat president and go there and say, yeah, we're all in on giving up United States sovereignty. I mean, what, what is the point of this thing? There, there is none. And, you know, it used to have a very high level business function to it. And I was talking to a, a senior investment uh, fund manager, friend of mine today who wasn't there and has gone regularly in the past. And I asked him why. And he said that it, there's just no buzz about it anymore. It's it's literally something that's supposed to be a very high end business engagement forum, which has become, as you just said, a kind of woke social program, globalism program. And, you know, the, the true movers and shakers aren't, aren't doing business there. You do have people like Jamie Dimon, you know, obviously a very important uh, business figure in the United States, but he's not there to do a deal. Uh, mm-hmm. He's there, you know, to sort of participate in things. Now, to Jamie Dimon's credit, he actually pointed out a bunch of things like Trump was right on NATO, yeah. and which was which was fantastic. But no, there's no point. We shouldn't be pay, playing for all paying for all these private planes belching their emissions to be flying senior administration officials like John Kerry to Davos. It's just, it's ridiculous that that, that is just wasteful taxpayer money being, you know, thrown after years of bad. So I, I strongly agree with Representative Perry in that, in that effort. You know, prior to becoming the vice president of the Davis Institute for Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation, you were the um, national security advisor for President Trump, deputy uh, secretary of energy. You, you've had all kinds of different very high level titles. So I'll ask you this this question with regards to energy. Do you think that when it comes to carbon offsets, is that not the biggest scam in the world? And do you think the mafia came up with this themselves or was it somebody even 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 a smarter person who was able to say, yeah, you want to burn uh, private jet oil? Yeah, burn it and we'll we'll take your money and we won't cut down trees. We were going to not cut down anyway. I mean, it's it's such a scam. 
Well, oh, just to clarify for the record, I was the Deputy National Security Advisor and the Senior Policy Advisor to the Secretary of Energy. So, In my Secretary mind, you were the Secretary of Energy. I love Dan <laughs> Briette, but in my mind, you were the guy. No, God forbid, Dan's listening. He's going to get me. Uh, <laughs> but no, carbon, I mean, these offsets are literally modern-day indulgences. You are paying for your 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 sins uh, with money rather than with actual repentance and change of behavior, and so it's it's just I think exposes the utter rank hypocrisy of this movement. That yes, you know they're going to to assume this great moral authority that they're saving the planet, and we horrible Neanderthals are just hastening the demise, but yet they can't possibly give up any of their fossil fueled comforts. And so they come up with this just ridiculous shell game to kind of wish it away and make it look like they're still virtuous while they belch away uh, their emissions. And one of the things we're working on this year is an exposure at Heritage is an exposure of this and the actual climate costs of the way the green movement is conducting itself, both through this kind of activity, through how environmentally damaging your favorite things, the wind turbines are, uh, you know, all of this. The emperor definitely has no clothes on here, and we we just need to, to not continue to allow them to impose these ridiculous structures on us in the name of in the name of climate. And it's just such a scam. I mean, I love that. I love it's you know there's a, the survey Taylor Swift. Yeah, fly your private jet and then virtue signal and look good by buying carbon offsets so that they won't cut down trees in Brazil that they weren't going to cut down anyway, or they'll plant new trees in exchange and you'll be net zero. I mean, what a scam! So that people can run around and say I am net zero. I love, but I actually love it. I I love it the same way that I love the fact that Dubai hosted the the COP twenty eight climate summit as they're building. <laughs> new islands to drill like I, I love i love the fact that it's just an open scam and they're not even hiding from it well and guess where it's going to be next year it's going to be in azerbaijan one of Perfect. the great great oil and gas producers because nobody else would take it and you know the conversation i was at cop this year i mean i uh just to see what was going on and i wanted to be on an oil really rig shifted. can i can we get cop 28 to literally be on an oil rig in the gulf or something like that that would be fun well, we could definitely do it in baku and azerbaijan you, you can see the oil rigs from the from the window of your hotel they're just right there in the sea and so you know i i think this is what's, what's interesting about baku just along those lines is their oil uh their oil refinery capacity used to be called Black City because it was so dirty and was so polluting. And because the technology has advanced so far and they, they've really embraced that, uh, they now have rebuilt that as White City. And it's going it's, it's still in development, but it's going to be a wonderful new, modern, uh, clean element to, to the cityscape. And so, you know, that's kind of a monument to how you do this responsibly. You know, heaven knows I don't want Taylor Swift flying by a private plane. God forbid I were on it and it would be such a disruption. Uh, I don't even know how she'd get through the airport. Imagine TSA. Uh, but so, you know, I, that's ridiculous for someone like that, you know, to propose that they should do that. And, you know, Lord lover, she certainly made plenty of money. Uh, and if she can afford it, then that's her business if that's what she chooses to do. And it's not anybody else's.
Well said, well said. All right, before I let you go, i got to bring in uh, Henry for this one, and this is the big story of the day today. It's brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com, and that's Owen Tippett. I mean, uh, out of control, <laughs> that, that, that score. Electric. Ele- right, Henry? Oh Electric. Gosh, yeah. And on a great goalie like Jake Ottinger, too. I mean, you just don't expect, you know, Owen Tippett, of all people, to come out and give you a little spinorama into the backhand, but, man, what a goal. Yeah, it- it was it was really magical, and and they're having a hell of a run at it. What's what's I think the the great Philadelphia story here is that he was what we got for Claude Giroux, mm-hmm. for our wonderful captain who had a number of of shots like that in his career in Philadelphia. My best friend who works for the Flyers, she used to amuse her son by playing those for him. Uh, he now plays uh, varsity hockey, not surprisingly, but but. Tippett, you know, took some time. He was young, and it took some time to develop him. And to have him coming into his own as Drew's successor here is is really wonderful for the organization, which has meant so much to the city. I mean, if I had been telling you we said goodbye to the Eagles after one playoff game and we're talking about how far, not only that the Flyers would make the playoffs, but how far are they going to go? You know, that would have seemed a ridiculous conversation to be having six months ago, but that's where we are, and that's the magic of it. That's are we talking Stanley Cup here, you two? Uh, At some point. I don't know if it's this year, but yeah, not, who knows? I wouldn't say this year because I just don't think they have the high-end scoring to do it, but, man, they have built a great foundation this year with their defense and their hustle. So, yeah, it's it's in the cards I, in the near future. I agree, and I'm a huge Danny Breer fan. I actually oh, yeah. have my Danny Breer jersey from when he was a player here, so I, I've dusted that out, and I wear it to games. I think he's really just brought a wonderful, just innate hockey sense to the team. Well, Owen Tippett gave us what we all needed yesterday, some joy in a city that's so mm-hmm. bummed out. I mean, we're so freaking <laughs> bummed out. But, you know, that, that, that goal was just uh, amazing. Well, as always, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you always making uh, time for us because you are in high demand, Dr. Victoria Coates. Appreciate it, my friend. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the snow. Of course. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. You know, I'm, I'm insulted by uh, Tony's email today. I do try to check my email during the show as best as I possibly can. Um, but Tony said, when did this become the whip? There's no way Rich would recognize Owen Tippett in a lineup. First of all, my son loves hockey. Uh, Patrick, Patrick loves sports, so I love watching sports with my son. And right now there's nothing to watch because obviously the football, the, the football games are not till this weekend. So I, I came in last night. He was watching the 2021 Chiefs versus Bills uh, playoff game on the NFL Network. Great game. It's a great game. But actually, that was live for a second. So I was about to start tweeting out, like, go Chiefs. And I was like, whoa, hang on a second here. Um, so then we switch over to the Flyers game. My son likes hockey. He, he does. And my wife, her family, you know, she's from the Adirondacks. That's all they do up there is drink beer and play hockey. There's nothing to do up there but that. You know what I mean? It's a frozen wasteland. <laughs> and, and you play hockey. Everybody there, when you're born, you're basically given a pair of skates. You know what I mean? So you're, you're, here's your skates, kid, and go go play. So... Yeah, and I bet you could pick Owen Tippett out of a lineup just because he's a, a nice redhead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, plus he'd be in a Flyers uniform and has his last name on the back. Yeah, that, that would help too, yeah. I would just say turn around. <laughs> oh, you're Owen Tippett. Oh, man. Uh, actually, of all, and of all the games, I'll tell you a little inside baseball trick here. Inside hockey trick, actually. Of all the games to get to go to, 
in my opinion, the easiest games to get to are Flyers games. Why is that? Well, because it, it it's just less chaotic than going to an, first of all going to an Eagles game is chaos, mm-hmm. you know, with the tailgating and everything like that. There's not a lot of tailgating that goes on at Flyers games because it's freaking cold. That's fair. So you know, and and the games are usually at night. So I don't know. It's just it, it just seems easier. Plus, I think it's easier for us to get tickets through Odyssey. Quite frankly, yeah, it's true. Um, then it, we certainly can't get Eagles tickets anymore. So no. No. You know. Uh, well, so there's that. Also, to that point, like, I also think that has to do with just how poorly the Flyers have played over the last decade or so. That's uh, true. You know, there's, <laughs> there wasn't, I mean, every other year there was something to cheer about, but even then you kind of knew, like, eh, this wasn't, this isn't very good. This team is worth cheering for. They play hard, they play tough, play great defense. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the parking lots will start filling up some more for some tailgates soon enough. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I mean, tailgating for Wingbo was always a blast because that would start at three a.m. So yeah, I was, I was born what? I was born too early, too soon. No, you really were. Yeah, born too late, as too the late. song goes. Yeah, born too late. Uh, we got a big five o'clock hour coming up. We're going to talk to um, it's the return of Dr. Wilfred Riley for we'll talk about all things that are woke. I'll ask him about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Um, there's a whole big analysis of DEI at universities. I want to kind of go a little deep on this one with you because when you find out some of the salaries they are paying people uh, at, at these colleges and universities for this DEI nonsense, it's going to blow your mind. So I'm going to share some of that with you. And of course, we'll look at New Hampshire. Hampshire. We'll look at Iowa. We'll look at the state of the race and everything that's going on there as we get closer and closer to the New Hampshire primary, which is Tuesday. And Trump's going to win. No doubt about it. The only question is how close will Nikki Haley come in and um, how poorly will Ron DeSantis do? Will he break? Will he break double digits? Those are the questions. That's what we're watching as we head to the New Hampshire first in the nation primary on Tuesday on a very snowy Friday, but it's beautiful out and we're here and we're live. It's Friday and a snow day and we're here and we're live. So great to be with you today. Um, And I'll tell you one other thing. And that is that we've got some great events coming up, including your chance to laugh on Thursday, February 1st at Parks Casino for Comedy Night with Joe Conklin. That's coming up. And your tickets are only 20 bucks. Includes your first drink free. All you got to do is go to parkscasino.com slash comedy. I'll be the MC along with Mike Baldini. We'll have some great comics there. It's going to be a lot of fun. That is Thursday, February 1st. Our big event with Terry Hayes, The Year of the Locust, is coming up on February 7th. Get your tickets today by going to 1210wphd.com. Before that sells out, we got a lot of great opportunities to hang out together in the next coming weeks. But don't wait because these tickets will sell out. All right. 30 minutes of nonstop talk coming up for you straight ahead. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now this is the drive at 5 30 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli so 
if you're tired of comparing Trump to Hitler, are there other evil despots you could use? Of course there are. We've got a list for you. Uh, Sports Illustrated is done. Was it because of the transgender issue? And Tim Scott is going to endorse Donald Trump tonight for president of the United States of America. He just teased that big announcement. He'll be doing it tonight at a Trump rally. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. It is a snowy Friday, 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. But let me welcome to the show his triumphant return. We're so happy to have him back. The author of Lies My Liberal Teacher Told Me, which is coming out very, very soon and available for pre-order today, Dr. Wilfred Riley. Hello, Doc. How are you? Doing well. Good to be back on the show. Good to have you back. I know you're a busy guy. You're in high demand, and there's a lot going on. Uh, and I know you've been busy reading the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, so I can't blame you for not being available. Yeah, well, I, I actually did look at the last uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, and it's not hard to see why the magazine went bankrupt. I mean, that was actually part of uh, what caused the collapse, I think. There were there were two things. The, the first was just the brand model. So, like, the last swimsuit edition featured a guy or a trans woman, quote-unquote, on the cover, Kim Petras. The other model that they chose to go with is a, quote-unquote, plus-size model who actually is a very attractive woman, but who weighs about 240 pounds. And they they were able to survive that, but then they got in trouble for this AI scandal where it turned out they weren't writing their articles. They were having kind of the junior reporters go to chat GPT and say, you know, baseball player, inspiring story, give me two pages. And this, this was apparently about half their content. And I, I think people, there, there just wasn't a base for it anymore. Sports Center is having the same problem, but Sports Illustrated, as I understand, is done. They fired the entire staff. Yeah, they they fired the entire staff. The uh, people that own the brand have taken the brand back. Um, they said they're going to relaunch it and, and try to get back to their to their to their base. I, I don't know if it's even possible at this point. But look, I mean, putting a a transgender woman, a biological male, uh, on the cover of a swimsuit edition bothers me because you know there were twenty eight women they chose for that twenty eight individuals, one of whom was a biological male. So that means that mm-hmm. of the four that were on the cover. 24 women were cast aside as not cover worthy. And once again, a biological dude took the place of a woman. And and it frustrates me that that's okay in our society. Yeah, I mean, I I think on the one hand, it's offensive. Sure. Like if so, there are levels to this. Like if I were a woman and if I were a swimsuit model, and I were beaten out by a guy for a modeling gig. I'd be uh, more than a little bit offended by that, I think. That's part of it. Part two, though, I, I think is just the level of virtue signaling that became really common for a while. So, like, this isn't the first guy to win, the first male to win Woman of the Year. I mean, like, the classic example was Caitlyn Jenner, who went to the ESPYs and was voted, you know, at a major award show, the best and most heroic woman in the country. And that became like a Chappelle show joke. Where, I mean, you know, Big Dave got up on stage and was like, you know, there are a thousand women in this room, but there's there's some guy out there that's a better woman than any of you. <laughs> and that, <laughs> it was a thing. It went on went on for a couple of years. We've seen three or four of them. I, I never, I try never to lie or misquote, so I forget who the one was that won last year. But we saw this Miss Universe or something like that a couple months ago. So this is not a novel thing. But again, the like last sentence, but there's that, there's that discrepancy between 
what people will clap like seals and say in public and what people will actually like enough to pay for. And this is what we're seeing with a lot of brands. I mean, it's what Bud Light dealt with. It's what Target dealt with. It's what a number of brands have dealt with on the left side of the fence where they've moved away from you know actual sexuality on the women's mag side and so on. And here with Sports Illustrated, I mean, people didn't want robots writing articles about gay athletes, it turns out. They just wanted to see summaries of the game and you know who's the new phenom and so on. And if the magazine can relaunch that and can pitch to you know the mostly male sports viewing audience, that's that's a big audience. Like you should be able to get money out of out of that pool. But let's see if they do. Now I saw you know Unilever came out recently and said, all right, all this emphasis for companies on on ESG scores and and and, and social purposes and everything that can't be our focus anymore. Our focus has to actually be making money. I mean, I know that's shocking for a CEO to say in this day and age. Do you think companies are finally catching on that the ESG stuff, the DEI stuff is just it's just not it's not a profitable way to go for them? Well, I remember I was once listening to uh, what's a Charlemagne the God for the Breakfast Club, and it was him and his old rival Ed Lover, and they were interviewing some guy from Nike, and they they kept asking the Nike guy, "What's your purpose? Is it to do outreach in inner city communities? Is it to to grow the brand globally and develop kind of the the, the world sense of art and athletics?" And the Nike guy was like, "No, you idiots! It's to sell shoes." And I remember laughing out loud when the guy said that. It was just this, like, average-sized Caucasian guy, brown hair and a pinstripe. You know, he was just sort of saying what he did. Like, we don't hate anybody, but our business is to move athletic shoes. Yeah. So, no, like, you ha- when, you, when you're in the business world, where we've both been, I mean, you have to have a core model. So if you sell shoes, everything has to get back to how many shoes do you sell. Like, the purpose of marketing is to make your shoe look look effective, look cool, get it out there on tr- beside the subway trains and so on. The purpose of sales, I mean, people are calling up footlockers and they're closing deals for so many boxes of shoes. The purpose of IT, I mean, are your ads visible on Amazon, so on down the line. And I think for about 10 years, we got kind of fat and happy. I mean, the early Trump years were, were good. You know, I'm on the right, but the later Obama years weren't bad. We had some spare money to spend on, on all this other stuff. So we got into, I mean, ESG is environmental social governance. So companies started scoring themselves about 5% of what influences their stock price, about 5% of what the index funds were doing, was how many trees the brand was planting and this kind of thing. Like Greta Thunberg is giving corporate advice, you know, was being flown out on jets to do this. And at a certain point, that just that just doesn't matter. Like, you, you can get rid of everything, DEI, SEL, ESG. It's not going to affect your bottom line at all, and people are realizing that. Let me ask you another question, Dr. Wilford Riley. We, we often hear Trump compared to Hitler quite a bit, and uh, it's it's kind of cliche. I mean, there's an old South Park joke, I think, where you know everything comes back to Hitler, basically. Uh, so the Daily Wire has a piece today. If you're tired of comparing your political enemies to Hitler, here are four more evil despots worth mentioning, part two. And they, they bring up some other people in there. Um, so I'd like to ask you, I mean, if, if, if you would yeah. like to give people some other names uh, that they could, they could use, in the course of their political discourse to, to bring up tyrants. I always go to Mussolini, my people, Italian. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm a little partial to that one. Uh, got any other suggestions for us? Well, yeah, you actually you actually stole the obvious one from me. I mean, if you're going to compare... So, first of all, comparing people to Hitler is the ultimate midwit move. Because it sort of means, like, people used to say the Bible is the one positive book. Like, for a lot of people online, Mein Kampf is the one negative book. So someone will say something like, in war, I would defeat my enemies. 
And someone will immediately chime in and say, sounds like something Hitler would have said. <laughs> and, you know, the obvious context is it's also something your Ramesses would have said, you idiot, or Stonewall Jackson, or any other impressive band throughout history, Malcolm X, because it's something everyone thinks in competition. So, I mean, Hitler is kind of the ultimate midwit evil guy. Like, there's sort of a what would Hitler do vibe when people criticize bad leaders. So... In reality, yeah, Trump's a lot more like Mussolini as a political scientist, maybe Ceausescu, uh, Victor Orban, although he's not really an evil guy. But there's a whole tradition of kind of strong man <laughs> European leaders standing up, pounding the podium, you know, the blood, the soil, the land. Uh, a lot of them weren't were Nazis or close. And that Trump tradition, like the, the proud guy with the two long ties shouting. Hitler, no similarity to Trump. And how come the left never brings up Pol Pot? I mean, that dude, you know, he was a pretty evil guy, Pol Pot. And uh, I feel like in, in, in history, he, he kind of gets cast aside. Also, Stalin. I mean, Stalin killed a lot of people with the purges and the, and the famines and whatnot. But maybe that's because he was on the side of the, of the commies. Well, yeah, the left never brings up communist dictators at all. I mean, like, never. I, I don't know if we're... Yeah, but like if we're, if we're going to do like a dictator off, I mean, yeah, you've got Lenin, you got Stalin, you got Mao, you got Pol Pot. I mean, you have to you have to realize, and I'm sure most of your audience does, that every communist leader was a dictator. Like no one no one voted in any of these guys. There was no election that Ho Chi Minh won. That's another one. <laughs> so I mean, yes, like if you want to go through a list of the most murderous dictators in history, the most murderous dictator in history was Chairman Mao. Simply because, I mean, China is the country, like the East is the one region of the world that traditionally has kind of outpowered the West. I mean, they're the famous old line, there are a billion Chinese. So when Mao's great leap forward killed 10% of the population, that was something like 50 million people. So no one, even Hitler, is close to the chairman Mao numbers. But yeah, no one talks about Mao, no one Stalin. No one talks about Pol Pot. I mean, there hasn't been a movie, you know, a cinematic treatment of that since The Killing Fields. And, yeah, the reason for that is that it's a lot more awkward to talk about Marxist dictatorship than fascist dictatorship. Because a lot of people today still identify as Marxist. I mean, unless you're on Stormfront or something like that, no one identifies as a fascist. Right, right. And, and, and yet, even though their, their ideas are not that far off, I mean, about, you know, one powerful government that controls everything. And I mean, the, the ideas are not that far off in terms of authoritarianism, yet somehow everybody assumes that Hitler's on the right, Mussolini's on the right, and these other guys are on the left. I mean, I just remember the political spectrum. I mean, obviously, you're a political science professor, but mm -hmm. I remember learning about the political spectrum theory and how eventually the extremes kind of come together. You know, the, the line doubles over and connects next because as far as you go extreme on either side eventually you're operating in the same way you've got eco-terrorists and, and you've got you, you know the uh, the crazy militia guy blowing up a building i mean you're not that far off once you connect the crazies yeah like if you, if you look at the uh, standard breakdown like the percentage of the population that can be forced to pay taxes or something like that or who has the ultimate order giving power is it you know the guy at top or the politburo I mean, yeah, you actually do get sort of an eerie horseshoe where, like, the most right-wing government would be sort of a good king or an emperor, and the most left-wing government would be a communist or a fascistic society. And there's a lot of wordplay that goes into that, where the idea is that the communist or even the fascistic society would actually be led by the people. But in practice, like, the people always early on in the revolution pick a leader and the leader stays in power and no one votes for him. This is actually, like, the problem with communism, by the way, as you probably know. Like, communists will tell you that pure communism has never been achieved. 
So, like, the idea of communism is that the second rank in society, that's the Chinese term, like the students, the union men, the soldiers, will defeat the first rank in society, which would be, I guess, the nobles, the businessmen, the media guys. And so the second rank will then take power. And what they're supposed to do is then divide everything up equally among everybody. But what they actually do is just keep it. So that's that's the problem. Like, once the once the rebel army wins... How do you then get the rebel general to give you 20% of everything he has? And that's never been successful ever. Not once. Right. Yeah, yeah well, it know, never and, will be. And this is why I think that the, the Democrats have a problem here with their campaign messaging, which is that Trump is going to be a dictator in his second term. I got, can you name me a dictator who ever left office ever and then said, I want to come back and then I'll be a dictator? I mean, if you're going to be a dictator, be a dictator. Like Dictators dictate. They don't leave. Trump didn't. I mean, he left the White House. That's a very low energy dictator, in my opinion. <laughs> overrated, dictatorial, non-dictatorial <laughs> behavior. The, the funny thing about just small dictator energy, the funny thing about Trump, actually, is that if you really want to critique Trump from, like, that business or military right, he wasn't dictatorial enough. And, like, you know, listeners will probably hear that, like, what the hell? But, like, in reality, Trump didn't do what, you know, Big Bill Clinton did, what Eisenhower did with a lot of people who had state, what a lot of people who had state governmental or military experience did, which was sort of every couple of months just govern for two weeks with a pen and a phone and just do stuff. So like the border wall, Trump kept trying to work out deals with these rhino Republicans in Congress. And so like bluntly, no wall ever got built. Trump built 737 miles of wall, which isn't bad, but like 400 miles were just repairing what was already there. The border's like, what, 3,000 miles long? So the idea that Trump came in and he used this massive, aggressive power to get things done, no. What actually happened was that Trump, who's used to being this deal-making businessman, went into this bureaucratic environment where people were just lying to him. Like, I read the brief recently. A friend got it to me on what was done to Trump during the Syrian campaign. And people were just telling Trump we didn't have soldiers in the country anymore. And we did. We had hundreds of them. But he very often was just completely baffled by what was going on. The question with Trump coming back, actually, is will he be any better? Like, as opposed to hiring relatives and, you know, heavy hitters from the business world and people he thinks are funny, like, will he surround himself with people that are actually capable of getting some of the stuff that he wants to do done? That's that's a big question for Trump. And that's why so many people favored DeSantis or even Haley at the start of the primaries. I think that one of the mistakes he made, and I think he admits it now, was he, he hired a lot of the Republican establishment people. You know, all of a sudden they said, all right, we have to come in and help you and guide you. And to that point, the the, the campaign that he ran was so antithetical to that that these people got in there and it was they were never able to work together. And I think he's learned that lesson. I'm like, I'm not going to go and tap the, the, the Mitch McConnell staffers this time around. I'm not going to get Paul Ryan's people in here. That part of it, I think he, he's learned. But yeah, you know, when you, you think about authoritarianism and you hear about the, the left cries and, and the whining about this. And Clay Travis made a great point about this yesterday. You know, as, as Biden's whining about authoritarianism, I mean, literally his Department of Justice is trying to lock up his chief political opponent. I mean, you know, you, you, you cannot make this up. In authoritarian countries, they use their law enforcement purposes. Correct me if I'm wrong, Professor Wilford Riley, but what I learned about the definition of police state in my political science classes was it's not, you know, cops on horseback. It's not tear gas at riots. It's when 
and the government uses its law enforcement powers for for politics to to, to affect political change, uh, whether it's positive or it's negative. They're using their power for politics, not for keeping the people safe. And it seems like we got a whole lot of that going on right now. Yeah, I mean, so this is almost everyone I know who is has any rank at all on the left has read a guy named Saul Alinsky who wrote a series of books like Rules for Radicals, Political Competition that were kind of like Machiavelli redone for the early modern world, like the 1970s. And one of Saul Alinsky's rules was always scream frantically about what you're doing, if that makes sense. So like if you are an atheist party girl who's going to engage in totally ruthless political competition and doesn't believe in much of anything, keep telling other people they have no empathy. And that's why they won't let in like an unlimited number of young fighting men through the border, for example. So like the the whole you are unempathic, you're a killer. That's like a constant liberal argument. This is the same thing. Like, so Trump said a lot of stuff that sounded overly cocky and that sounded like he might do things most Americans would disapprove of. So the liberal frame on Trump became he's a dictator. The reality is that because they could then argue they were fighting a dictator, the equally ruthless people on the Democratic side of the aisle did a whole bunch of stuff that's dictatorial or borders on it. So, yeah, I mean, like the the opposition party candidates facing 91 felony charges right now. And, like, he did some of that stuff. Like, he had those documents in his bathroom, you know. But the large majority of this stuff, speaking as a pretty competent lawyer, seems like total crap. I mean, like, the New York case is the extension of a state campaign finance misdemeanor past the statute of limitations because they're different federal and state statutes of limitations kind of into the federal arena. And the initial source of that was that Trump allegedly paid a porn star to say they didn't have sex. Like, these are the kind of charges that Trump is facing. Like, in Atlanta, Fannie Willis, who allegedly used to date Gucci Mane, by the way, but Fannie Willis paid her boyfriend, her married boyfriend, to investigate Donald Trump and then bring a whole series of charges against him. And there's now kind of a secondary investigation into Willis and whether these charges are legitimate. Like, this is the kind of stuff that's being raised against Trump. And, yeah, it's, it's impossible to deny that this is political. The question is, will it work? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. That's it. That's exactly right. Like, it, it, it's so political. It's so glaringly obvious. Um, the whole thing with Fannie Willis is hysterical. I mean, you know, th- th- this guy, yeah. this cat's making 650000 a year, but he has no business being a prosecutor on a case to get to bring down the former president of the United States. He was like a municipal judge dealing with parking tickets. And uh, that's that that's an amazing part of this as well. And then, of course, in the federal level, you have you, you have Jack Smith, who is the special prosecutor who's relentlessly going after trump and this the 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 ballots now in colorado of course saying he can't be on the ballot i mean when you've got guys like david axelrod coming out and saying as a democrat this is bad you all you're doing is is helping trump and making people upset that you're taking away choices you have to stop doing this when you've got jamie diamond coming out there and saying hey stop calling trump supporters you know nazis and everything else i mean at some point you you gotta you gotta wonder if if they're looking at their message and thinking to themselves, man, we just have nothing here because they can't really talk about Biden's economy. They don't want to talk about the state of the world because it's a mess. The border is a freaking wide open disaster. So, you know, I, I mean, from a messaging perspective, they are just in deep trouble, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, so the, the problem with this election and, you know, I like Trump better than Biden. But the problem with this election is the two men running. 
Like, I personally think that almost any competent candidate in a general election could beat either one of these two candidates. So this is the issue. Biden, Biden is the worst candidate. But like every time I look at a poll that's like DeSantis or Haley or anyone like this versus Biden in the general, it's like them up six. Even Trump is up three. Uh, it's the same thing in reverse, though. Like there have been polls that are created where you have general Democrat or someone like uh, the boy Gavin Newsom from California, Newsom Harris running against Trump, and it's the Democrats by two. So I think that both parties are kind of prepared for one of those World War One level slugfests where you take these two mildly corrupt 80-year-old men and you run them against each other and you see who survives, maybe literally. Like, so that's that's the situation. And for the Biden team, I think they think Biden's been bit worse by the bug of life than Trump has. I don't think they want to focus on Biden at all. Like, you can't. And it's kind of sad. Like, Biden used to be a witty, funny guy. Like, he wrote the 94 crime bill. and You can still see him on video defending against the Black Caucus and so on. But Biden right now probably dealing with at least low level dementia. He can't really talk. He's got a busy schedule. He's 80 something. So they don't want to put him in the spotlight. They don't want him to debate Donald Trump. So they want the focus to be on Trump's mistakes and peccadilloes. I think that's a good way to put it. They want the focus to be on bad things Trump has done until the election. And so I I wouldn't be surprised to see more charges. I wouldn't be surprised to see unexpected court dates in these four states. Like just a a lot of games being played. Yeah, I, I I agree with 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 what they're going to do. No question about it. Every time I see these polls though about the other candidates, I'm, I I just remind people though that they haven't been on the national stage yet. And once the Democrat war machine aims at them, those numbers may change. I mean, Haley and DeSantis have not yet been on the national stage, so they 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 right now people might say, yeah, I, I'd choose them until the Democrat Party does what it does and attacks. You know, Nikki Haley's who wanted to take away abortion rights, and Ron DeSantis is also being Hitler. You know. I mean, they, they, they'll do all those things to them and probably bring down their poll numbers, too. But from the Democrat perspective, we've got enough people chattering about potentially now having to change the candidate, change Joe Biden out of the race. Yeah. I, I mean, is that even possible? Can it could it, I, I know from a from a perspective of up, look up until you nominate a candidate at the convention, you, you really can. I mean, it, it, it seems like they are flirting names. You mentioned Gavin Newsom. You know, there's a story about Michelle Obama. She's saying all these things on podcasts. I mean, you know, w- would you be surprised if it, if they were to do a switcheroo no. here? No, I mean, like, so I, I was just pretty harsh on Trump there. But I mean, let's be real about this with Biden. Like, it's an entirely different level with Biden. Biden is, you might correct me, what, 83? You know, he's, yeah, he's like not. 183-something, yeah. Yeah, he was around. He used to play football against the Iroquois in high school. You know, like, but I mean, he's he's just not <laughs> the guy's. He hasn't been alive for several years. I mean, so it's just. And again, I used to as as kind of like a right leaning Democrat at the time. You know, I read the crime bill. He's like Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a guy who ran for president. This is one of the problems with the whole like it's my turn idea in politics. By the way, um, there are times like maybe with DeSantis when this makes some sense. But there also are times where you have these geriatrics like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden saying, no, I'm up next. When you have a whole roster of younger candidates, like, for example, Newsom. But, I mean, Joe Biden was a guy who ran for president multiple times in the 90s. He was derailed by silly stuff like plagiarism scandals. Now he's back. He's 85. He's got dementia. I mean, from my perception. 
So what do you do with him? Uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised to see a switcheroo. The question is who? The, the thing that makes that difficult is Kamala Harris, actually, if you're talking about, like, strategic party politics from things I've heard from buddies on the Dim oh, side. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, because you've got, like, a strong black woman, quote-unquote, on the ticket. Biden picked her because he wanted a black female president. If you ever step down, he said all this at, like, NCA, AACP prayer breakfast. So if he actually steps down and then he's like, okay, Gavin, you're up next, how do you justify that? Like, how do you not let Harris pick her VP? And who who would that be? You know, so that's that's the problem. And she's even worse than Biden. I mean, she's even more unpopular yeah. than he is. But yeah, to your point, I mean, how, how does how does the Democrat Party shove aside the first black female vice president for another white dude? And which, by the way, they did in the 2020 primary. I mean, they shoved Kamala Harris aside for an old white dude. So, I mean, I wouldn't put anything past them. But that's the only reason why the, I think the Michelle Obama thing has legs, because obviously she's also a, a, a black woman. So they could, you know, maybe uh, satisfy people in that sense. But yeah, no, I think if it wasn't Kamala Harris as the VP, I think Biden would have been gone. And then I guess the other question then becomes, you know, do they use the leverage? Do they use Hunter as leverage against him? You know, give your son a pardon, make all this go away. And then, of course, you can't actually, uh, you know, run for reelection if you've just pardoned your son. You got to put your family first, blah, blah, blah. Maybe. I mean, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so much about the Hunter Biden thing, well, one of the reasons we're seeing so much Democratic corruption is that it's unavoidable. So, I mean, a general rule would be like, you know, black on white crime gets about a fifth as much uh, airtime as white on black crime. It's the same thing here. Like Democratic corruption gets about a fourth as much airtime as Republican corruption. But with stuff like Fannie Willis, when she's like sleeping with one of the judges and prosecutors involved in a case that involves the president, like you can't really totally downplay it. Same thing with Hunter Biden. But one of the reasons the Hunter Biden case is getting so much coverage, I think, is that it's now okay to make fun of Joe Biden. You see the same thing with kind of late night TV like Jimmy Kimmel, where for the entire Obama administration and the first year and a half of the Joe Biden administration, there was actually a moratorium on criticizing the president that people in Hollywood have talked about. Uh, why did that end? I think one reason is that so many people see that Biden's not functional. Not only can you not ignore that, it also means that they want someone to replace him. So, yeah, the Hunter thing would be one strategy to get him out of there. But again, you have to, the, the chess move would be how do you get Joe Biden out in a way that also gets Kamala Harris out? That's what you'd have to do if you want an effective ticket that's like Gavin Newsom and Michelle Obama as VP. Yeah, well, listen, very well said. All right, my friend, always a pleasure. Great having you back on the show, Dr. Wilford Riley. The book, Lies My Liberal Teacher Told Me, it's available for pre-order now, so pre-order it. We're going to do a big book event together when it's ready to come out. Uh, have a great weekend, my friend. Thank you. You too. Good talking to you again. Bye. The Zioli Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. A beachfront home in Naples with panoramic views of the Gulf asks for $39.5 million. A South Florida home with a coveted waterfront location has come up for sale for $40 million. That's strange because Mar-a-Lago was valued at what? $9 million or something, according to the government, as they went after Donald Trump. Welcome back to the show. Glad you are here today. It is a snow day, and what a show we're having today, huh? Thanks for being here. Lots to chat about. You know, part of the reason I always say I love uh, talk radio is we can go in-depth on topics. We can go in-depth, and no doubt about that. Uh, will Tucker become Donald Trump's VP? 
I don't know. New York Post is a story today. Tucker Carlson is certainly a contender to be Trump's VP pick, according to Donald Trump Jr. That clearly would be on the table. Don Jr. said when asked on Newsmax Thursday if the former president was serious about Tucker Carlson as a possible vice president if he wins the 2024 election. I mean, they're very friendly. I think they agree in virtually all of these things. He told Rob Finnerty on Wake Up America. They certainly uh, agree on stopping the never-ending wars, and so I would love that to happen. That would certainly be a contender. I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would I would say, you know, I think he's got a lot of great common sense. That's what Trump had said about Tucker in the past. Uh, I don't see it. I, I just don't see it happening. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying I don't I don't see it happening. I don't see it. That is the top story of the day today brought to you by our buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com for all your beautiful dental care needs. And you do uh, absolutely need to see him for a great, great smile. Now, Biden is again ignoring the United States Supreme Court once again, and he's bribing people by giving them out your money as he cancels another $74,000 in student loans. On Friday, the Biden administration announced they were canceling the loans of another 74,000 student loan borrowers, hiking the total number of people who've gotten their debt canceled to over 3.7 million Americans. Hey, a lot of those people are in Pennsylvania. And you know how that works, right? It's like, hey, how you doing? You want to? Uh, you want some money? How about a little money to pay off your student loans? Yeah, no problem. Just don't forget who gave it to you. That will be us. That will be us, the Democrats. That's right. The Biden administration has been ignoring the United States Supreme Court, which struck down Biden's student loan relief plan last June because it had not been approved by Congress. The Supreme Court's 6-3 decision resulted from the six conservative justices voting to strike down the plan while the three leftist justices opposed them. The Biden administration incited the 2003 Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act to buttress its argument in favor of the student loans. As it stated, the loans were permitted in case of a national emergency. But Chief Justice John Roberts said the 2003 act was clearly before a department secretary and can you, and was was. Uh, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Chief Justice John Roberts said the 2003 act was clearly before a department secretary can unilaterally alter large sections of the American economy. And that is only something Congress can do. A cabinet secretary cannot. Joe Biden said, my administration was able to deliver relief to these borrowers and millions more <clears throat> because of the fixes we made <clears throat> to the broken student loan programs. And he'd say to me, Joey... My dad always said to me, Joey, when, when, when you got student loan debt, you got to make sure the taxpayers pay them off. In the wake of the Supreme Court's decision on our student debt relief plan, we are continuing to pursue an alternative path to deliver student debt relief to as many borrowers as possible, as quickly as possible. And a lot of those people live in Pennsylvania, swing state of Pennsylvania, because, of course, as you know, um, you got to win PA. All roads run through Pennsylvania, no doubt about it. So he's doing that. Meanwhile, state schools could give thousands of students full rides if they disclose their DEI departments. Huh? I'm sorry, if they close their DEI departments. This is the, the actual cost of, of the DEI departments. Spreading angry ideology is good work if you can get it. Turns out... At public universities nationwide, diversity, equity, and inclusion officials make huge sums while spending even more pushing division and discrimination on students and faculty alike. They claim they're promoting disenfranchised groups, but they're wasting money that would be better spent given a broader range of students a high-quality education. See, in other words, instead of Joe Biden having to pay off all the student loan debt, 
and instead of people like America's mother-in-law screaming about how college should be free, you actually could give students a free ride if you just killed DEI. So there's a new report out, and the author of that report, uh, the report was reviewed by uh, Liesl Crocker at the New York Post. And the report focused on red and purple states since they are most likely to have the political will to reform higher education. While DEI bureaucracies die, diversity, inclusion, and equity, are generally largest at universities in blue states, like $25 million the University of California Berkeley spends on 400 DEI staff members, there's no chance that people like Gavin the Hair Newsom, I'm going to roll that back, no chance whatsoever. Blue states would probably allocate even more money towards DEI, not less. DEI spending at state schools is in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. A year! Now think about that. The left screams college should be free because they want the indoctrination camp. Uh, The left screams that nobody should have student loan debt. The left screams that everybody who has student loan debt should get those student loans canceled. Meanwhile, Hundreds of millions of dollars a year are being spent at state schools, DEI. It's conceivable that America's roughly 1,600 public colleges and universities are spending more than a billion dollars a year on DEI. Each institution would have to spend just $625,000 a year. Now, like the University of Alabama drops $2 million a year on salaries for DEI staff. It's good money if you can get it. Georgia Tech pays $6.7 million a year. These staff spend additional money running DEI programs and departments. In South Carolina, Clemson University spends $2.5 million on DEI programs, while the University of South Carolina spends $1.7 million. Oh, Nikki, did you not fix that when you were governor, Nikki? Nikki. Then there's the University of Michigan, which spends $30 million dollars a year on its diversity, equity, and inclusion team. Whatever the school, the true cost is likely much higher. And college is the ultimate racket. It really is. You know, they, they, they turn around and they keep raising prices and they know you're still going to send your kids there. So they don't care what it costs. They know that you're still, your kid's still going to get a loan and, uh, and come to that, that school. So basically what they do is they turn around and they go like um, hey uh, we're going to we're going to call uh, we're going to we're going to say the mission is uh, $90,000 a year 90 grand a year all right and um, you're going to pay that because if you don't want to come here somebody else will and then you turn around and go okay and it's the ultimate form of of the mafia, basically. Because the government turns around, because they were on it too, they go, don't worry about it, we got your back. We're going to give you a loan for that $90,000 a year. Don't worry, it's all good. So the colleges spend more money on this kind of crap, knowing that they can raise their prices and the marketplace is not going to react because it's, it's, it's not a real marketplace. The government, whatever the cost is, will make sure there are loans to pay for it. And then when those loans come due, they're going to turn around and go, you know what, on second thought, we think it's better if you don't have to pay these loans. I mean, after all, as long as you vote Democrat, as long as you're a good Democrat little voter, we're going to make you okay. 
Schools often report salaries uh, for DEI staff, but not the cost of the projects they run or vice versa. Regardless, DEI administrators are extremely well paid. Virginia's top diversity official makes $391,000 a year. Well, at UVA, the head DEI honcho, makes $375,000. Does that not want to make you bury your head in snow? Virginia Tech's top diversity officer makes $391,000. University of Virginia's head DEI honcho makes nearly $375,000. I had to read it again just to make sure I wasn't wrong. From Alabama to Kentucky to Louisiana to Ohio to Utah and beyond, DEI administrators routinely make more than $200,000. The National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education brags that 84% of DEI officials make at least hundred grand, while more than a third are pulling in $200,000 plus. What the hell are we doing wrong? Not that I could get that job as a white dude, but you know what I mean. A 2021 survey found the average public university employs 45 DEI staff. That fact alone indicates such schools are likely spending millions of dollars a year on politicized personnel. So at the same time, they go, oh, college should be free. At the same time, they go, oh, you shouldn't have any student loan debt. The salary of Virginia Tech's top diversity official alone would fund nearly 13 full-ride scholarships based on in-state tuition rates. A Utah State University, getting rid of the DEI czar would pay for 14 and a half full rides. Utah? Why does Utah have a DEI? Come on. Come on, man. If the salaries and funding for all DEI staff and programs at all public universities were spent on scholarships, huge numbers of students could benefit. At the University of Michigan, 241 DEI staff are hawking resources that could pay the way for more than 1,700 students. With so much money at stake, universities could focus on giving more students a better education at an affordable price, but they like DEI. You know why they like DEI so much? You know why? They like it because it's the indoctrination that they all want. They love it. And they love it because... um, in addition to brainwashing and indoctrinating your children, obviously, uh, it also teaches them that America is a racist place. America is a horrible place. America is a place where uh, everybody should atone. Let me give you an example. Over at uh, the hideous place of view, and I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you with, with a lot of audio from, from this. I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. But there's a woman on the view named Sarah Haynes. Sarah Haynes was having this little chit chat. And says, and she's white, obviously. It's important to make white kids feel bad in history class. It's important to make them feel bad in history class. Take a listen. Because what is supposed to be the very foundation of this country is that we are all equal. But what happens is when you've had privilege for so long, equality feels a lot like oppression. Right. You know, I. What the hell? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? You've had privilege for so long. What? what I, I don't. Even, what, what? 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 Huh? How about the privilege of making millions of dollars being a host on The View? How about that privilege? How about View host salary privilege? I think that's a nice privilege. Or how about the privilege of being a DEI officer at one of these schools around America? How about that privilege? Where you are privileged enough to be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars of, a, a year telling everybody America is a racist, horrible place. And you're most likely a person of color and most likely a person who would qualify under all the DEI initiatives. So you sit there and make hundreds of thousands of dollars telling everybody what a horrible place America is. Let's keep going here. 
Yes, clap away, there's, Seals. There's more to it than that. Look, I think what it is is that um, black history and other things, banning books, has been weaponized for political purposes to drive people to the polls. There are no book bans. Because my poor little white kid is feeling bad because he's learning about slavery. That's ridiculous. Learning about history should not make anybody feel bad. We learn oh, about it history. it should make you feel bad. No, but, but it's it, important that it makes you feel bad. I don't think it should make you feel bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. It should make you feel bad. Only if you're a Democrat. They were the party of slavery. And all five of these idiots on The View, they're all Democrats. Even Elisa Farah, whatever her name is, who was a Republican, Democrat. Come on. So they're all Democrats. How about you just say you should feel bad if you're Democrats? The Democrat Party is a party of slavery. You should feel bad. They won't say that, though, of course. So Sarah Haynes, with her white guilt, turns around and goes, no, it should make you feel bad. Why? None of the people learning about history did anything wrong. Why should my, why should my kids feel bad? They didn't do anything. Why, why should my kids feel guilty for something they didn't do? They, my kids didn't own slaves. My kids did. Uh, my, first of all, my, my 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 children had nothing to do with any of this. Why should they feel bad learning about the history of America? Oh, because they should. Because that's the only way to perpetuate the narrative that America is a uh, place that's horrible, built on white supremacy, and we must achieve equity and knock down privilege by destroying capitalism and having a socialist utopia. That's why they have to feel bad. I don't think a, a white child sh- uh, that's had nothing to do with slavery should feel bad about slavery. I think we need to learn history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes yeah. about history. And I, you know, today is um, today is, is MLK Day. And what's happening around this country with black history, with banning books, is absolutely insane. And you've got, in the Republican primary right now, you've got Ron DeSantis. Nobody who- is banning books. Go ahead to argue there is a positive side to slavery. You've got Nikki Haley, who can't even bring herself to utter the word slavery as the cause of the Civil War. And you've got Um, uh, Donald Trump, uh who wants to give Abraham Lincoln advice. You know, it's it's very it's very it's very difficult to, to to listen to the cackling hens, but you get the point, right? I mean, you get the point why you have to hoist that guilt upon everybody. It is to perpetuate the narrative. Far left organizations will train teachers to incorporate Palestinian narratives into the classroom, according to the, to the Daily Wire. A pro-Palestinian group that previously downplayed Hamas's October 7th terrorist attacks against Israel will be training teachers in Oakland, California on Saturday to incorporate Palestinian history, narratives, and culture into K-12 through classrooms. According to a flyer shared by the Daily Wire by Parents Defending Education, the Middle East Children's Alliance will be holding a Saturday training called Palestine in Our Classrooms, teaching to the moment 75 years of resistance, resilience, and samud. They have come under scrutiny for its response to the October 7th terrorist attacks and ties to the Democrat Socialists of America. And the training is only 25 bucks. It's not too bad. You know, I mean, that's something that even even on a teacher's salary, you could probably swing, right? Now, a watchdog group is now demanding that Johns Hopkins eliminate the DEI programs that called all white people privilege. You remember that when that, that, that Johns Hopkins medical person came out and said, what is privilege? It's basically anything. She just listed everything except for if you're like a black woman, basically, a black gay woman, basically. Well, a healthcare watchdog group is demanding that Johns Hopkins uh, eliminate its diversity, equity, and inclusion program after its boss created a toxic culture by declaring all white people, Christians and men, as privileged. 
Do no harm condemned the elite institution's empathy apology after Dr. Sharita Hill-Golden, chief diversity officer for the hospital system, sent a staff-wide memo last week defining privilege as a set of unearned benefits given to people who are in specific social groups. Do no harm said Johns Hopkins needs to completely eliminate this entire thing. I agree. And think of all the money they could save from this. They have created a toxic culture rooted in a DEI ideology that demonizes and indoctrinates the very students they're tasked with training to become the next generation of medical professionals. Racism is still racism when a DEI officer says it. Last week, she put out her statement on privilege and she says... Privilege operates on personal, interpersonal, cultural, and institutional levels. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people, were among the privileged social groups listed in the letter. Basically, everybody. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. Privilege is characteristically invisible to people who have it. What about if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, like Dr. Sharita Hill-Golden, to put out this kind of nonsense? Do you think maybe to yourself, I don't know, maybe that's privilege? I'm just throwing it out there. What do I know? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying maybe that's privilege. Maybe perhaps just a little bit of privilege. A little You know, because at the end of the day, when you think about it, that's a whole lot of cash to just lecture people about how much privilege they have. That seems to me like a lot of privilege. And that money gets you some privilege. You know what I mean? (laughs) Don't forget, uh, February 7th is our event with Terry Hayes. International best-selling author Terry Hayes, The Year of the Locust. Get your tickets today by going to 1210wpht.com and get your tickets. Please do not wait. I want you, I want to see you there for that. He'll sign your book. We'll have a wonderful night together, a lot of fun. And don't forget as well, on Thursday, February 1st, Parks Casino for another of Joe Conklin's comedy nights with my buddy Joe Conklin, some great comedians. 20 bucks gets you your ticket, your first drink for free, and um, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. That's at 8 o'clock. ParksCasino.com slash comedy. Gambling prom called 1-800-GAMBLER. So two great events. And they're both quite affordable. Comedy Night and then our book event with Terry Hayes. I'm really excited for Terry Hayes, too, because as I've been reading his book, to understand what these um, denied access, denied area access CIAs go through and the threat of Iran and still radical fundam- radical Islamic terrorism, it's still out there. It's, it has not gone away. And he brings it all home in such a gripping way. And The Year of the Pilgrim was a phenomenal book, or I Am Pilgrim, but but The Year of the Locust, I mean, it's, it's just, I can't put it down. I love it. And you're going to love chatting with him. He's got a, a lot to say. I mean, all the movies he worked on. So we'll have a great night, and I want you to do that, 1210wphd.com, and get your tickets today. Now listen, Dr. Mike Venaria is my friend and my dentist. Bridget went to see him just this week. I went to see him last week. Was it a week ago today? I was slurring my words. I will be in about uh, an hour. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, Dr. Mike's a great guy. And you deserve a beautiful smile. You deserve the smile of your life. And that's what you'll get with Dr. Mike Venario. With two offices to serve you in Cinnamonson and Woodbury, reach out to Dr. Mike today. Just go to VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A. VenariaDental.com. He is my dentist. He's my friend. And he is the master of dental implants. So what are you waiting for? If you've had an estimate for complicated dental Im- implants before, please reach out to Dr. Mike today for a second opinion. 
And when it comes to your smile, remember it's worth it because every single person sees your smile. So it's worth it for you to have a beautiful smile. And I want you to have a beautiful smile. And I trust him. My whole family goes to him. Pediatric General Cosmetic Dentistry. It's all there with my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A. VenariaDental.com. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. A beachfront home in Naples with panoramic views of the Gulf asks for $39.5 million. A South Florida home with a coveted waterfront location has come up for sale for $40 bucks. That's strange because Mar-a-Lago was valued at what? $9 million or something, according to the government, as they uh, went after Donald Trump. Welcome back to the show. Glad you are here today. It is a snow day, and what a show we're having today, huh? Thanks for being here. Lots to chat about. You know, part of the reason I always say I love uh, talk radio is we can go in-depth on topics. We can go in-depth, and no doubt about that. Uh, will Tucker become Donald Trump's VP? I don't know. New York Post is a story today. Tucker Carlson is certainly a contender to be Trump's VP pick, according to Donald Trump Jr. That clearly would be on the table, Don Jr. said when asked on Newsmax Thursday if the former president was serious about Tucker Carlson as a possible vice president if he wins the 2024 election. I mean, they're very friendly. I think they agree in virtually all of these things. He told Rob Finnerty on Wake Up America. They certainly uh, agree on stopping the never-ending wars. And so I would love that to happen. That would certainly be a contender. I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would I would say, you know, I think he's got a lot of great common sense. That's what Trump had said about Tucker in the past. Uh, I don't see it. I, I just don't see it happening. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't see it. That is the top story of the day today brought to you by our buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. For all your beautiful dental care needs, and you do uh, absolutely need to see him for a great, great smile. Now, Biden is again ignoring the United States Supreme Court once again, and he's bribing people by giving them out your money as he cancels another $74,000 in student loans. On Friday, the Biden administration announced they were canceling the loans of another 74,000 student loan borrowers, hiking the total number of people who've gotten their debt canceled to over 3.7 million Americans. Hey, a lot of those people are in Pennsylvania. And you know how that works, right? It's like, hey, how you doing? You want uh, you want some money? How about a little money to pay off your student loans? Yeah, no problem. Just don't forget who gave it to you. That will be us. That will be us, the Democrats. That's right. The Biden administration has been ignoring the United States Supreme Court, which struck down Biden's student loan relief plan last June because it had not been approved by Congress. The Supreme Court 6-3 decision resulted from the six conservative justices voting to strike down the plan while the three leftist justices opposed them. The Biden administration incited the 2003 Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act to buttress its argument in favor of the student loans. As it stated, the loans were permitted in case of a national emergency. But Chief Justice John Roberts said the 2003 act was clearly before a department secretary and can you, and was was. Uh, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Chief Justice John Roberts said the 2003 act was clearly before a department secretary can unilaterally alter large sections of the American economy. And that is only something Congress can do. A cabinet secretary cannot. Joe Biden said, my administration was able to deliver relief to these borrowers and millions more <clears throat> because of the fixes we made <clears throat> to the broken student loan programs. And he'd say to me, Joey, 
My dad always said to me, Joey, when 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 you got student loan debt, you gotta you gotta make sure the taxpayers pay them off. In the wake of the Supreme Court's decision on our student debt relief plan, we are continuing to pursue an alternative path to deliver student debt relief to as many borrowers as possible, as quickly as possible. And a lot of those people live in Pennsylvania, swing state of Pennsylvania, because of course, as you know, um, you got to win PA. All roads run through Pennsylvania, no doubt about it. So he's doing that. Meanwhile, state schools could give thousands of students full rides if they disclose their DEI departments. Huh? I'm sorry, if they closed their DEI departments. This is the the actual cost of of the DEI departments. Spreading angry ideology is good work if you can get it. Turns out... At public universities nationwide, diversity, equity, and inclusion officials make huge sums while spending even more pushing division and discrimination on students and faculty alike. They claim they're promoting disenfranchised groups, but they're wasting money that would be better spent given a broader range of students a high-quality education. See, in other words, instead of Joe Biden having to pay off all the student loan debt, And instead of people like America's mother-in-law screaming about how college should be free, you actually could give students a free ride if you just killed DEI. So there's a new report out, and the author of that report, uh, the report was reviewed by uh, Liesl Crocker at the New York Post. And the report focused on red and purple states since they are most likely to have the political will to reform higher education. Well, DEI bureaucracies, DAI, diversity, inclusion, and equity, are generally largest at universities in blue states, like $25 million the University of California Berkeley spends on 400 DEI staff members. There's no chance that people like Gavin the Hare Newsom are going to roll that back. No chance whatsoever. Blue states would probably allocate even more money towards DEI, not less. DEI spending at state schools is in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. A year. Now think about that. The left screams college should be free because they want the indoctrination camp. Uh, The left screams that nobody should have student loan debt. The left screams that everybody who has student loan debt should get those student loans canceled. Meanwhile, hundreds of millions of dollars a year are being spent at state schools, DEI. It's conceivable that America's roughly 1,600 public colleges and universities are spending more than a billion dollars a year on DEI. Each institution would have to spend just $625,000 a year. Now, like the University of Alabama drops $2 million a year on salaries for DEI staff. It's good money if you can get it. Georgia Tech pays $6.7 million a year. These staff spend additional money running DEI programs and departments. In South Carolina, Clemson University spends $2.5 million on DEI programs, while the University of South Carolina spends $1.7 million. Oh, Nikki, did you not fix that when you were governor, Nikki? Nikki. Then there's University of Michigan, which spends $30 million dollars a year on its diversity equity and inclusion team whatever the school the true cost is likely much higher that college is the ultimate racket it really is you know they 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 turn around and they keep raising prices and they know you're still going to send your kids there so they don't care what it costs they know that you're still your kid's still going to get a loan and uh and come to that that school 
So basically, what they do is they turn around, and they go like, um, "Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna call uh, we're gonna we're gonna say the mission is uh, ninety thousand dollars a year, ninety grand a year, all right? And um, you're gonna pay that because if you don't want to come here, somebody else will. And then you turn around and go, okay. And it's the ultimate form of of the mafia, basically. Because the government turns around, because they're on it too, they go, don't worry about it, we got your back. We're going to give you a loan for that $90,000 a year. Don't worry, it's all good. So the colleges spend more money on this kind of crap, knowing that they can raise their prices and the marketplace is not going to react because it's, it's, it's not a real marketplace. The government, whatever the cost is, will make sure there are loans to pay for it. And then when those loans come due, they're going to turn around and go, you know what, on second thought, we think it's better if you don't have to pay these loans. I mean, after all, as long as you vote Democrat, as long as you're a good Democrat little voter, we're going to make you okay. Schools often report salaries uh, for DEI staff, but not the cost of the projects they run or vice versa. Regardless, DEI administrators are extremely well paid. Virginia's top diversity official makes $391,000 a year. Well, at UVA, the head DEI honcho makes $375,000. Does that not want to make you bury your head in snow? Virginia Tech's top diversity officer makes $391,000. University of Virginia's head DEI honcho makes nearly $375,000. I had to read it again just to make sure I wasn't wrong. From Alabama to Kentucky to Louisiana to Ohio to Utah and beyond, DEI administrators routinely make more than $200,000. The National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education brags that 84% of DEI officials make at least hundred grand, while more than a third are pulling in $200,000 plus. What the hell are we doing wrong? Not that I could get that job as a white dude, but you know what I mean. A 2021 survey found the average public university employs 45 DEI staff. That fact alone indicates such schools are likely spending millions of dollars a year on politicized personnel. So at the same time, they go, oh, college should be freed. At the same time, they go, oh, you shouldn't have any student loan debt. The salary of Virginia Tech's top diversity official alone would fund nearly 13 full-ride scholarships based on in-state tuition rates. Utah State University, getting rid of the DEI czar, would pay for 14 and a half full rides. Utah? Why does Utah have a DEI? Come on. Come on, man. If the salaries and funding for all DEI staff and programs at all public universities were spent on scholarships, huge numbers of students could benefit. At the University of Michigan, 241 DEI staff are hawking resources that could pay the way for more than 1,700 students. With so much money at stake, universities could focus on giving more students a better education at an affordable price, but they like DEI. You know why they like DEI so much? You know why? They like it because it's the indoctrination that they all want. They love it. And they love it because... um, in addition to brainwashing and indoctrinating your children, obviously, uh, it also teaches them that America is a racist place. America is a horrible place. America is a place where uh, everybody should atone. Let me give you an example. Over at uh, the hideous place of view, and I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you with, with a lot of audio from, from this. I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. But there's a woman on the view named Sarah Haynes. Sarah Haynes was having this little chit chat. And says, and she's white, obviously. It's important to make white kids feel bad in history class. It's important to make them feel bad in history class. 
Take a listen. Because what is supposed to be the very foundation of this country is that we are all equal. But what happens is when you've had privilege for so long, equality feels a lot like oppression. Right. You know, I, what the hell? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? You've had privilege for so long. What? I, I don't. What? 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 Huh? How about the privilege of making millions of dollars being a host on The View? How about that privilege? How about View host salary privilege? I think that's a nice privilege. Or how about the privilege of being a DEI officer at one of these schools around America? How about that privilege? Where you are privileged enough to be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year telling everybody America is a racist, horrible place. And you're most likely a person of color and most likely a person who would qualify under all the DEI initiatives. So you sit there and make hundreds of thousands of dollars telling everybody what a horrible place America is. Let's keep going here. Yes, clap away, Seals. There's more to it than that. Look, I think what it is is that um, black history and other things, banning books, has been weaponized for political purposes to drive people to the polls. There are no book bans. My poor little white kid is feeling bad because he's learning about slavery. That's ridiculous. Learning about history should not make anybody feel bad. We learn about history. It should make you feel bad. No, but it's important that it makes you feel bad. I don't think it should make you feel bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. It should make you feel bad. Only if you're a Democrat. They were the party of slavery. And all five of these idiots on The View, they're all Democrats. Even Elisa Farah, whatever her name is, who was a Republican, Democrat. Come on. So they're all Democrats. How about you say you should feel bad if you're Democrats? This is the Democrat Party is a party of slavery. You should feel bad. They won't say that, though, of course. So Sarah Haynes, with her white guilt, turns around and goes, no, it should make you feel bad. Why? None of the people learning about history did anything wrong. Why should my, why should my kids feel bad? They didn't do anything. Why, why should my kids feel guilty for something they didn't do? They, my kids didn't own slaves. My kids did. Uh, my, first of all, my, 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 my children had nothing to do with any of this. Why should they feel bad learning about the history of America? Oh, because they should, because that's the only way to perpetuate the narrative that America is a uh, place that's horrible, built on white supremacy, and we must achieve equity and knock down privilege by destroying capitalism and having a socialist utopia. That's why they have to feel bad. I don't think a, a white child uh, that's had nothing to do with slavery should feel bad about slavery. I think we need to learn history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes yeah. about history. And I, you know, today is um, today is, is MLK Day. And what's happening around this country with black history, with banning books, is absolutely insane. And you've got, in the Republican primary right now, you've got Ron DeSantis. Nobody who- is banning books. Go ahead. To argue there is a positive side to slavery. You've yep. got Nikki Haley, who can't even bring herself to utter the word slavery as the cause of the Civil War. She has and you've friends. got um, uh, Donald Trump, uh-huh. who wants to give Abraham Lincoln advice. You know, it's it's very it's very it's very difficult to, to to listen to the cackling hens, but you get the point, right? I mean, you get the point. Why you have to hoist that guilt upon everybody? It is to perpetuate the narrative. Far-left organizations will train teachers to incorporate Palestinian narratives into the classroom, according to the, to the Daily Wire. A pro-Palestinian group that previously downplayed Hamas's October 7th terrorist attacks against Israel will be training teachers in Oakland, California on Saturday to incorporate Palestinian history, narratives, and culture into K-12 classrooms. 
According to a flyer shared by the Daily Wire by Parents Defending Education, the Middle East Children's Alliance will be holding a Saturday training called Palestine in Our Classrooms, teaching to the moment 75 years of resistance, resilience, and samud. They have come under scrutiny for its response to the October 7th terrorist attacks and ties to the Democrat Socialists of America. And the training is only 25 bucks. It's not too bad. You know, I mean, that's something that even even on a teacher's salary, you could probably swing, right? Now, a watchdog group is now demanding that Johns Hopkins eliminate the DEI programs that called all white people privilege. Do you remember that when that, that, that Johns Hopkins medical person came out and said, what is privilege? It's basically anything. She just listed everything except for if you're like a black woman, basically, a black gay woman, basically. Well, a healthcare watchdog group is demanding that Johns Hopkins uh, eliminate its diversity, equity, and inclusion program after its boss created a toxic culture by declaring all white people, Christians and men, as privileged. Do No Harm condemned the elite institution's empathy apology after Dr. Sharita Hill-Golden, chief diversity officer for the hospital system, sent a staff-wide memo last week defining privilege as a set of unearned benefits given to people who are in specific social groups. Do no harm, said Johns Hopkins needs to completely eliminate this entire thing. I agree. And think of all the money they could save from this. They have created a toxic culture rooted in a DEI ideology that demonizes and indoctrinates the very students they're tasked with training to become the next generation of medical professionals. Racism is still racism when a DEI officer says it. Last week, she put out her statement on privilege, and she says... Privilege operates on personal, interpersonal, cultural, and institutional levels. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people, were among the privileged social groups listed in the letter. Basically, everybody. White people, able-bodied people, heterosexuals, cisgender people, males, Christians, middle or owning class people, middle-aged people, English-speaking people. Privilege is characteristically invisible to people who have it. What about if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, like Dr. Sharita Hill-Golden, to put out this kind of nonsense? Do you think maybe to yourself, I don't know, maybe that's privilege? I'm just throwing it out there. What do I know? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying maybe that's privilege. Maybe perhaps just a little bit of privilege. A little you know, because at the end of the day, when you think about it, that's a whole lot of cash to just lecture people about how much privilege they have. That seems to me like a lot of privilege. And that money gets you some privilege. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't forget, uh, February 7th is our event with Terry Hayes. International best-selling author Terry Hayes, The Year of the Locust. Get your tickets today by going to 1210WPHD.com and get your tickets. Please do not wait. I want you, I want to see you there for that. He'll sign your book. We'll have a wonderful night together, a lot of fun. And don't forget as well, on Thursday, February 1st, Parks Casino for another of Joe Conklin's comedy nights with my buddy Joe Conklin, some great comedians. 20 bucks gets you your ticket, your first drink for free, and um, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. That's at 8 o'clock. ParksCasino.com slash comedy. Gambling prom called 1 800 Gambler. So two great events. And they're both quite affordable. Comedy night and then our book event with Terry Hayes. I'm really excited for Terry Hayes, too, because as I've been reading his book, to understand what these um, denied access, denied area access CIAs go through and the threat of Iran and still radical, fundam- radical Islamic terrorism, it's still out there. It's, it has not gone away. And
and he brings it all home in such a gripping way. And the Year of the Pilgrim was a phenomenal book, or I am Pilgrim, but at, but the Year of the Locust. I mean, it's it's just I can't put it down. I love it. And you're going to love chatting with him. He's got a, a lot to say. I mean, all the movies he worked on. So we'll have a great night. And I want you to do that. 1210WPHD.com. And get your tickets today. Now, listen, Dr. Mike Venaria is my friend and my dentist. Bridget went to see him just this week. I went to see him last week. Was it a week ago today? I was slurring my words. I will be in about oh, an hour. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, Dr. Mike's a great guy. And you deserve a beautiful smile. You deserve the smile of your life. And that's what you'll get with Dr. Mike Venaria. With two offices to serve you in Cinnamonson and Woodbury, reach out to Dr. Mike today. Just go to VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. He is my dentist. He's my friend. And he is the master of dental implants. So what are you waiting for? If you've had an estimate for complicated dental implants before, please reach out to Dr. Mike today for a second opinion. And when it comes to your smile, remember it's worth it because every single person sees your smile. So it's worth it for you to have a beautiful smile. And I want you to have a beautiful smile. And I trust him. My whole family goes to him. Pediatric general cosmetic dentistry. It's all there with my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A. VenariaDental.com. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All right, as we continue along here on a uh, snowy Friday night, excited. I, I'm just a quick side note, by the way. Today, woke up and um, made my world famous short ribs in Barolo. Now, this is a Mario Batali recipe, and you know Mario Batali was canceled. But anyway, I still think Mario Batali's cookbook is, uh, is I consider it to be my cooking Bible. I really do. His cookbook is fantastic. Um, I highly recommend it. You should get it if you haven't. He's got a couple of them, but the one that, um, the one that I use the most is, uh, oh, what's the name of it? Um, I, uh, it'll come to me. Hang on one second. And then I made homemade pasta, too. Yeah, no, you, making homemade pasta is easy. Molto Italiano, right. Molto Italiano. How did I forget that? It's my, my, it's my cooking Bible. Um, homemade pasta is not complicated, and it tastes great. All you need is flour and eggs. That's it. Flour and eggs. And I made some nice uh, pappardelle noodles, and uh, I, had them, I had them sitting out all day, drying. So it'll be nice and al dente. They go into the boiling water, and it takes about three, four minutes, and they're done. It's great. Delicious. The little Barola wine sauce and the short ribs. What I do with the short ribs is I buy them on the bone, and I and I salt and pepper them, sear them up real good, and they just simmer in that Barolo sauce all day until they fall off the bone, and they're just perfectly delicious. And you can tell I'm hungry. And then you drink about a bottle of wine with it um, per person, obviously, and it's. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Anyway, um, here's a, a couple other points I wanted to me- wanted to mention to you. Nikki Haley still wants to ban TikTok. By the way, I, you know I, I'm I'm really not okay with this. I, I don't like government bans. I don't like government bans. I know that I know that China might be behind this, and I've said this before. If you want to ban, if you want to ban government workers from using TikTok, I'm fine with that. That's okay. That's okay to do. But to ban American citizens who want to ban to use TikTok, I have a problem with that. I don't like it. And as long as you're not a threat to the United States, in other words, as long as you're not uh, you know, working for the government, I don't know how the government has a right to, to, to tell you you can't use an app. 
and just have a fundamental problem with it. And the other issue is I hear the I hear this the bandied about about national security all the time, but. Uh, how does some person who's not associated with the United States government making a TikTok video, how is that a threat to our national security any more than it is than buying crap on Amazon.com and helping enrich China's economy? So I, I just, I'm not a fan of bans. I don't think bans work. I think these things go underground. The kids would, would use it even more. The kids would want to use the forbidden TikTok app. If you know, my buddy of mine yesterday said, well, you'll agree one day when your kids get older, stop. But kids want to do stuff they can't do. So if that means then using an app that's underground, then they'll do it even more. Prohibition should teach us that lesson. That if you ban something, you it's the same thing with speech. You ban speech and people want to seek out a way to hear it and then it gives it credibility. So no, I mean, if you work in the Pentagon, yeah, you should not be able to use TikTok. I agree 100%. And if you are somebody who's working in a state government, fine, fine with me if the state wants to ban it. You're an employee. You don't have to work there. It's not your God-given right. But when we start getting into bans for American citizens, the idea that somebody posing a a TikTok video of their cat taking a shower, and that's going to somehow hurt our national security, that's an excuse for more big government is what it is. Because I think think it's probably more dangerous for national security to buy an electric car because that battery comes from China, and you're enriching China's economy. So, want to ban those? We could. I mean, we could just ban commerce with China altogether. The problem is China owns a lot of our of our debt, so that's a very problematic issue. Anyway, here's what Haley said yesterday. We should vet and and uh, shut down ideas that we deem harmful. Uh, you floated the idea of social media companies verifying all users by name, and one of your opponents, Governor DeSantis, has sanctioned pro-Palestine gr- student groups on public university campuses in the state of Florida. So my question is, will you commit to being principled on free speech, meaning uh, supporting even that speech that you disagree with? And if yes, what's your plan to do that? So I will always fight for freedom of speech. What I was referring to when it comes to our tech companies is there is a responsibility that our social media companies have. What I think they should do is they should show us their algorithms. They should be completely transparent so that you know why they push what they push, why you see what this they is a flip-flop. what you see, this is not all what of you that. Said. That's a business transparency situation. When it comes to disclosing who you are, I'm not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. Yes, you what did. What I'm saying yes, is you, you have did. millions of foreign bots where there are no people behind them. When I was at the United Nations, Russia, China, and Iran knew and said it was the cheapest form of warfare there are millions of bots that are sp- okay bots are one thing but that's not what she said let's just be clear that's not what nikki haley said I, it's you look you want to flip-flop you want to walk it back then own it and be like you know what i i really shouldn't have said it that way i was wrong to say it that way but this is this is a this is what this is is this is a this is gop presidential hopeful nikki haley thought to be a favorite among a lot of people who didn't like Donald Trump, has landed herself in a lot of hot water this week after she unveiled a plan for social media if she was elected president. Have a listen to this. The first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say. And it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility. 
and see, we're going to get some so, so every person, she said, every person. And last night she goes, no, 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 I'm about protecting the free speech rights of American citizens. A total flip-flop. This is the flip-flop. Here, this is what she said last night again. Transparency situation. When it comes to disclosing who you are, I'm not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. Yes, you did. What I'm saying is you, you have millions said that. of foreign bots. You, but that's not what you said. You said everybody has to, and it will lead to civility. That's what you said. It will lead by, to civility. By their name. That's they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by every their name. Person. That's first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility. So everybody has to stand by what they say. And then last night, it's no, 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 not American citizens. No, please. It is a total flip flop, a total flip flop. But look, I mean, the, the the bottom line is this. Nikki Haley's support of Ukraine is the reason why the, the Democrat establishment will vote for her if she's the nominee over Joe Biden. They, I mean, if, if they have to, they don't they won't care because it's not a big deal for them. In other words, it's not a big deal for them if they have to go with Haley over Biden. They still get to keep their war. They still get to get their war. And that's OK. So this is where I disagree with Trump. And even myself in some respects, because they will ultimately come back to the Democrats, I do believe. But if they really believe Biden can't win and it's Trump, they'll have to swap Biden out. If they really believe Biden can't win and it's Haley, they'll be okay with that because they can live with Nikki Haley. They can live with Haley because Haley will keep the Ukraine war going. That's the difference. That's the difference. And I really I I cannot express that enough to you because that's the point of why the Democrats are backing her. And if it comes to October and it looks like Joe, if it comes to the summer, it looks like Joe Biden's going to lose and Donald Trump, they're going to yank Biden out. I really do believe that they will yank him out. But not if it's Nikki Haley, they'll live with him, they'll live with her and they'll be OK with it. And they'll be OK with it because she gets to keep the war in Ukraine going and, and, and all the other big government ideas that she has under the guise of national security. All the other big government ideas that she has under the, under the guise of national security, she will keep going to. But if I'm DeSantis right now, and it's Friday, it's it's the weekend before New Hampshire. I I, I got it. I got to turn around. I got to think to myself at this moment. You know what? This is the moment now where I have to make a big decision, because I'm going to get I'm going to get slaughtered. I'm going to get slaughtered going into New Hampshire, and I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to come in third. I don't want to come in third place. I don't want to be remembered as the guy who came in third place in the first of the nation primary state. And then I don't want to I don't want to have Trump people hate me and I don't want to be mocked in 2028 when I run. So I think he has one choice and one choice only. And that choice is to get out and back Donald Trump. And I would do it before Tuesday. <laughs> it doesn't look like he's going to. But I mean, if it's me, that's 100 percent what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing that now and I'm going to take credit for Trump's win in New Hampshire. And I'm going to I'm going to ask to give the convention speech. I'm going to ask to give the nomination speech at the convention and I'm going to position myself for 2028. And yeah, obviously a lot can change. A lot can change between now and then, but I can only make decisions, only make decisions based on what I have at the moment. And that's it. I can't make decisions for a future I don't yet know about. So that's why if I'm Ron DeSantis, I got to make that decision now. Will he? Who knows? I have no idea. I have no idea what he's going to do. Nobody does. But the one thing I can tell you is that 
If he stays in this race, he comes in third place, it's going to be ugly, he's going to get out anyway, and it, it, you just have to ask yourself, why? What did you gain from this? What did you gain? What was it about? How did it help you? All you did was make your life harder for your political future. Nothing good came of it. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. If you'd like to weigh in uh, on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Snowy Friday night. Snowy Friday night and we're here. Isn't that something? We're here. We are here together. It's great. I'm coming right back. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, continuing along, our final segment before I turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin. What a week it's been, huh? Thanks for being here. Appreciate it very, very much. Um, my buddy Jeff Van Drew, Congressman Jeff Van Drew, who I'm obviously uh, very fond of. I'll be with him in Atlantic City coming up. Yeah, I'll be with him in Atlantic City coming up for the uh, Atlantic City Republican Party. They're having a uh, convention, not convention, a, a big night, and I'm part of it. It is the second annual Ronald Reagan Leadership Award Dinner honoring Congressman Jeff Andrew with special guest me. Friday, February 9th, 2024, 6.30 p.m., Resorts Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. And, you know, my buddy Don Purdy is the uh, chairman of the Atlantic County Republican Party, and I think he's doing a great job. So I was honored when he reached out to me. So if you'd like to come, just go to the Atlantic County Republicans web webpage or their Facebook page and grab grab a ticket. It'd be a fun night. It'd be a lot of fun. Harry Hurley's the MC. Radio legend Harry Hurley himself. Longtime morning show host in Atlantic City and overall great guy too. Anyway, uh, and also don't forget on, on the seventh, we have our big event with Terry Hayes. His book, The Year of the Locust, which is riveting and amazing, and I absolutely love it. I'd love for you to get a copy of that. You'll get a signed copy by Terry Hayes and join me for that. And then we have Comedy Night at Parks Casino coming up on Friday, Feb- or Thursday, February 1st. So all you got to do for that is just go to parkscasino.com slash comedy and get your ticket for 20 bucks, which includes your first drink free, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun together. So a lot of things in the works, right? A lot of things in the works. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you'll join us for, um, for all of them, actually. Just join us for all of them. Why not, right? Why not? Congressman Jeff Van Drew was, uh, was, was speaking yesterday regarding there's a lot going on about, about Hunter Biden. There's a lot going on about what the Republicans are trying to do with the budget and uh, what Republicans are trying to do with um, regards to the border issue. And, and one, one thing I, I do know, one thing I do know, though, is that if more and more of these Republicans keep giving in to the Democrats, we are in a lot of trouble. We are in a lot of trouble going forward. So Congressman Jeff Van Drew came out and said... What we all know, Hunter Biden and his father were basically selling out the United States of America. Here's South Jersey's own Jeff Andrew last night on Fox News. Uh, but I do want to move on to something else that's in business. front of you right now. And this is Hunter Biden. So he's finally agreed to appear before House Judiciary uh, for this private deposition. It's going to be February 28th. This is your, your group. The impeachment probe kicks into high gear. There's several interviews that are planned the month. Biden's Hollywood lawyer, and people call him the sugar brother, Kevin Morris, appeared for a transcribed interview before House Over. Yesterday, we're hearing that Morris admitted that he paid Hunter's tax 
bill that he, you know, with, he met him at a Biden campaign event in 2019. He loaned Hunter at least five million bucks. James Comer says his testimony raises a lot of ethical and campaign finance concerns for the president, pointing out that since Morris started helping Hunter financially, Morris has had access to the White House. He's been with the president. Um, and this follows other business associates with Hunter. Uh, so, Congressman, kind of give me your take on this, in particular, since this does involve your committee. Uh, judiciary is very involved in this, as you know, and if there is an impeachment, it would go through judiciary. Let me say this. Hunter's a bad guy. Whether it's buying a gun illegally, which Carol, you or I did, we jail. Uh, he has disposed of it in a dumpster. Uh, there was cocaine now that we found on the holster that the gun was uh, we know that he expects agreement and was dealing with foreigners, uh, actually powerful foreign interests that want this special treatment from the United States of America. That's where his dad comes in. The deal here isn't that Hunter is a bad guy. We know that. It's a special treatment that he was receiving from the Department of Justice. It's the fact that his father was in the conversations with his businesses and originally lied and said that he wasn't. It's the fact that they have shell corporations. It's the fact that there is so much that ties what our foreign policy and our domestic policy is to Hunter Biden and his father. And basically, we're selling the United States of America. That's what we have to know. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that he's a bad guy, but it does matter that his dad did bad things in order to help him to the American people. So we're going to continue on. And by the way, this is a man of privilege, Hunter Biden. He thought he wasn't going to have to appear. He thought he would just laugh in the face of the American people. Thank God we're moving forward with this. And he knows that we are real about wanting the information. Well, but- well, yeah, and that's good. And and, and let's uh, let's be honest here. This closed door testimony before the House committees, it's going to happen that he's finally agreed to because he was going to be held in contempt. Uh, we'll get the truth out. February 28th, that's when the deposition is going to come out. So how does all this play out? Well, one theory is that they have to get rid of Joe Biden. They know they have to get rid of Joe Biden. And the only way they can get rid of Joe Biden, if it's going to be Trump, is to use the threat of Hunter going to prison. And then turn around and have Joe Biden pardon him. And then they can all turn around and say, uh, Joe Biden did the right thing for his son. You know, he always talks about his dad. And how much his dad did for him? Well, Joe Biden did the right thing for his son by pardoning his son, Hunter. What a selfless man he is, you know? And then he can turn around to the American people and say, but obviously doing this means I can't run for re-election because um, I got to put my family first and blah, 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 blah. Gets him out of the race. See, with Hunter Biden's corruption, it leads to Joe Biden's corruption. If you pardon Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's corruption also goes away too. Pardons are irrevocable. You don't need to be guilty to have one. Um, you don't have to accept responsibility to have one. You just have to simply get it from the president. It's absolute. And the statute of limitations involving other Bidens is well over. So the bottom line is the Biden crime family gets away with it. And Joe Biden would be acutely aware of that as they threaten him if he stays in the race. If it's Nikki Haley and it's not going to be, then it doesn't matter because they'll be fine with her. If it's Donald Trump, and it's going to be, they have to get Joe Biden out. They can't risk losing to Trump. They just can't. And Biden doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. 
Biden doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about here. As he talks about, just listen to this real quick here. Hang on a second here. Now, my predecessors like to say, America is a failing nation. In my face, bless me, Father, for his sin. I mean, come on. <laughs> a failing nation. And by the way, did you hear he wants to see the stock market crash? Because he does not want now. We're doing well. He acknowledges by that we're doing pretty damn well economically and getting better. He wants to see the stock market crash. You know why? He doesn't want to be the next Herbert Hoover. He doesn't want to see the stock market crash, you idiot. It's not what he said. He didn't say that in that in that sense. You know that and I know that. And and this is another lie that Biden's going to tell. Ready? Listen to this lie. Get ready for it. Get ready. As I told him, he's already Hoover. <laughs> he's the only president to be president for four years and lose jobs, not gain any jobs. Come on, man. Come on, man. What do we have in 2020? Come on, man. We had a pandemic, a global pandemic, which, you know, if you want to think to yourself that maybe China released the virus from the lab on purpose because China wanted to hurt Donald Trump. Well, that's why we lost all those jobs. We lost jobs because of COVID. And then the jobs came back when the pandemic closures, lockdowns and restrictions were lifted. We lost jobs because people like Tom Wolf decided what businesses were essential and which businesses weren't. We lost jobs because people like Phil Murphy said, yeah, you can go uh, to the convenience store and get a pack of smokes, but you can't go to the gym. We, we did lose jobs because of COVID, but we also had a way for companies to be able to bring those jobs back, and they did when it was over. So it's another lie that Biden's telling. We shall see what the weekend brings. All right, listen, have a great rest of your night tonight. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. Remember, we got some great events coming up February 7th with Terry Hayes. Just go to 1210WPHD.com and get your tickets to join us for that. Please, you'll have a wonderful time. Get a signed copy of his book. And Parks Casino on Thursday, February 1st, 20 bucks gets you your ticket, your first drink, and comedy night as well. So two great events coming up before you know it. Um, Have fun. Have a great weekend. Make sure that you uh, watch your back. You know, if you're shoveling, make sure you watch your back. I don't want you pulling out your back. Be able to take care of yourself. Be okay out there. And don't forget something this weekend as you don't watch the Sunday shows. I will be watching the Sunday shows for you. Remember that as the corporate media embraces Nikki Haley more and more, more and more each and every day, the reason why they're doing that is twofold. It's either because it's easier for them to turn around and um, defeat a moderate, quote unquote, moderate, reasonable Republican, or number two, they're doing it because the establishment knows if it's Nikki Haley versus versus Obama versus Biden, they can live with that. They can live with it. Don't forget it. Oh, did I just say Obama? Like as in Michelle Obama? No, that can't happen, right? There's no way they would do that. There's no way they would do that. There's no way they would make that switch, would they, at the convention? The one thing I know is this. If Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, and I do believe Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, do not discount a thing. Have a great weekend. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball... 
your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.